a trade strategy for you. It's known as a 10% put. <clears throat> when you see the weekly chart poised to go down and you have to have the weekly, and your research shows that the stock typically, typically drops from the spring high as it falls into the summer. This is where doing your historical movement research comes in handy. What you can do then is buy an out of the money put and you use the out of the money strike that's closest to about 10% from the current stock price. So if the stock's at $100, an out of the money put would be a 90. I'm sorry, it would be something less than 100. 10% below 100 would be a 90 strike. And then you look to use an expiration, that's about three months beyond where you expect the move to end. I didn't say buy three months of time. On your prediction, where do you think that movement is gonna end? Number of candles, spot on the chart, whatever it may be. How long do you expect it to get there? And that comes from doing the predictive work. And then for an expiration date on that 10% put, add three months to that date. So for example, if you expect the, end, the move to end around September, October, because you're going into the fall winter season, then buy uh, December or January options, right? Ballpark three months. <clears throat> this approach works best with stocks that move with their sector and the market. Because if you do that, that allows you to confirm the down move. You're going with the market. The 10 per, I got all this written down for you. You just follow along and then go, go practice this. Go look for these. <clears throat> the 10% put is usually done starting at the spring high or at the high that you, ought, that you may often see in the April-May earnings run. You only look to do one or two of these per year. The other side of that coin is the 15% call. So when you see the weekly chart poised to rise, and again, you have to have the weekly, the trade will often show up at or near the low of the summer for stocks that move aggressively into the fall winter season. And this approach works best with stocks that have good upside potential. <clears throat> Excellent areas for this. The casino stocks in Vegas, brokerage stocks, tech firms. You may find that the 15% calls work better than the 10% puts. All depends on market condition. But you gotta pay attention to the weekly charts and take what's given, don't be greedy. If you've got a large IRA, for example, you could use maybe a small percentage, uh, max maybe 5% for this strategy is kind of an ultra strategy. Because when these work, it's not uncommon to see results that are well beyond 100%. And imagine doing that twice with an ultra strategy. If it works, the results are huge. If it fails, you impacted your large IRA balance by less than 5%. My suggestion for the methodology is if you're going to do this and when you decide to do this or if and when you decide to do this, when you're starting with real money, allocate $1,000 towards this method. And starting out, I would encourage you to have it in a separate account so that it's very easy to track and see your results. And I would say that your initial trade limit should be about $500. Now, this is not the same, not the same thing as same dollar trade size. Instead, we're dealing with contract quantity. 
based on a $500 trade. And we're going to look at the pricing of next week's ballpark 90-ish delta, you know, 85, 90, somewhere in that range. <clears throat> and we're looking at this on a Friday. And that means then that that would be the priciest option for that symbol. And it is specific to that ticker. For example, if you're going to trade the Qs on Friday, you look at next week's Qs options. Look at about a 90-ish delta. And you may see that that option is going for, let's say, $2.50. <clears throat> on the other hand, you may look at a different ticker, one that's called IYR. That one might be $1.50. So that means that for the one that's two fifty. Again, we're controlling 100 shares, so that's controlling $250. Sorry, it's costing $250. With $500 available, that says that we have the ability to control two contracts or 200 shares. But because IYR, for whatever reason, is priced less, maybe it's $1.50 in this example. $1.50 is $150. We have $500 available. If we were to trade IYR, then we could afford to buy three contracts. Now, and we're doing so on Friday. So let's see, that would have been August uh, 18th was Friday. We could look at the price of the option that expires August 27, 18, August 25. <clears throat> and maybe we see that the queues are trading for, in this example, $2.50. So that means now, next week, starting Monday, if I'm looking to do a trade on the queues, I'm going to trade two contracts. Now, it could be that option is a little more expensive on Monday than it was on Friday. Might be a lot less. I don't know. But whatever it is, I'm limiting myself to two contracts. Same rationale. If I look at IYR, <clears throat> I have the ability to buy three as of Friday's pricing. You say, well, do I look at it at the close of the day, the open of the day? Just look at it midday sometime. It's, it's really just to get kind of a, a, a guesstimate. Now, as we get deeper into the week, those options will reduce in price unless you end up walking into a very, very volatile week. <clears throat> but normal chain of events, you'll see that those options will reduce in price as we get closer and closer to the expiration date of that weekly option. So it could be, as an example, if IYR on Friday were trading for $1.50 with a 90-ish delta, it could be that by Wednesday, that same 90-ish delta option may not be the same strike price, but a 90-ish delta might now be trading for a dollar. Well, if I did same dollar trade size, I now could afford to buy five but you don't want to do that. You still limit yourself to the three that you identified as being what you could afford back on Friday. <clears throat> You've got to understand this. If you employ the strategy of same dollar trade size using this strategy and ignore the contract quantity like I just described to you, you will take your account to zero. Highlight that. I'm telling you what's going to happen. <clears throat> you don't, and you can learn lesson on your own. Or you, I mean, that's kind of stupid. I'm telling learn this one the hard way a couple times on my own. You don't need to learn it for yourself. Take my word. I hate the word trust me, so I won't say it. 
Take my word for it. Also, in this methodology, you want to have only one open trade at any one time. There's way too much to manage. It moves way too fast. Also, never, let me repeat that again, never, and let me say it one more time, never hold this trade overnight. You have to understand <clears throat> any kind of gap that happens overnight could either be very profitable for you or can decimate your trade. It doesn't take much. It's not, to me, it's not worth the coin, the coin toss. Also, in trading the intradays, you have to be aware of intraday news releases. When they're coming out, or what it is and when they're coming out. Do not trade in front of pending news. And if you want to get an example of what I'm talking about, go back and look at the news and see when the Fed last released uh, minutes or made an announcement about interest rates. And then take Q charts and take a one-minute chart and look for maybe the, I don't know, maybe half an hour, an hour in front of that news announcement. So if that's going to get announced, let's say at 2 p.m. Eastern, go look at the SPY or Qs on a one-minute chart on Q charts or Thinkorswim, they have it also, <clears throat> and move 2 p.m. Eastern to be on the right edge, maybe up to like 159 Eastern. That's on the right edge, so you can't see what's coming after that. And you'll see that the, those two stocks, the two tickers, Qs and SPY, and in front of a Fed announcement will go basically flat. There's very little movement that goes on there. And then at 2 p.m. they make the announcement. And you will see that the Qs or SPY will go crazy. It'll run up huge in one direction, go back in the other direction, and then jump around a little bit and then finally start moving in the right direction. And that'll happen within about five minutes. It'll move up and down and up and down, and then boom, it takes off in a direction. You don't want to be <laughs> in front of that. Um, it's it's nutty. If you're in the trade and it's going to your favor, you're you're thinking, oh, this is awesome. And by the time you blink, all your all your trade all your gains are gone, and boom, you have an equal size of loss. You might be up two three hundred percent, literally within seconds, and then take a deep breath, go. <gasps> By that time, you're down to 300%. It's, it's freaking nuts. So it's not worth, it's, it's a much better um, adrenaline boost than drink. I'm not a coffee drinker at all. I've ne never enjoyed this stuff. But I, I can get the same effect <laughs> by just watching the charts and imagining that I'm in a trade in front of the Fed minutes. Not something you want to do. <clears throat> So be aware of Fed announcements, be aware of any other um, uh, economic reports that could have a big impact on you that are happening during the market day. And be aware of if there are any other pending news items regarding a specific stock that you might be in. If there's something that you know is coming up, don't be in that stock trading intraday. <clears throat> now, what I want you to do, if you're, if you're gonna do this, remember we said we're gonna allocate $1,000. So you're going to start with 500 as your trade size. Only trading one name, only one open position. And when you take that 500 down to zero, because I know it's going to happen, guarantee it, 
then you can start over again with your next $500. And so then you're going to lose that. I don't know how quickly you'll lose it, but you're going to lose it. So now that you've lost the $1,000 on two attempts at this, now go back to paper trade. And you'll be much more serious this time about your paper trading, your simulated trading. And do that again for another four months. And do at least 25 legitimate paper trades before you start over again with real money. And starting over again is, again, allocate $1,000. And don't do a $1,000 trade size. Start with 500 And when you lose the 500 and now you have a second 500 you can start again. <clears throat> risk reward on doing these give yourself a minimum of 10 cents as risk regardless of what the chart shows you'll see as you do this on paper or simulated where you're watching it happen sitting there watching it happen live you'll see there's going to be periods where these things move unbelievably fast you can't move your finger that fast to get in and out of the trade <clears throat> Which says then that if we put our minimum risk at being 10 cents, that says the minimum reward should be at least 20 cents. And that doesn't mean you say, well, let me just jump in here. If I lose a dime, I'll close it. I'm going to make 20 cents. I'll, I'll close it there. No, 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 no. This is still about the brick. It's proper entry, intelligent exit, done to plan. <clears throat> but when you're looking as an end, if you don't see at least 20 cents of profit opportunity, don't do it minimum look to be able to do 20 cents and when you're looking to get in on these like in every other trading methodology that i show you you have to wait for the candle to close on your entry and if you watch this a little bit you'll understand why i say that because you'll see a, a candle will form very nicely and you'll see it like oh it's getting bigger it's getting bigger it's getting bigger. oh my god i should jump in because look, I'm going to make all this money. And all those emotions that you feel on the daily chart are going to get shoved into 59 seconds. If you have a problem with ADHD, this will clear it because you become so laser focused. It's amazing. And you'll see the, the candle getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're getting more and more annoyed that you're not in it. And then all of a sudden, it'll pull back down. And the candle's still painting. But now you'll see it'll leave a large wick behind. And if you had jumped in without waiting for that candle to close, you'd be upside down a significant portion by the time the candle closes. <clears throat> so as always, you must wait for the candle to close. I've said it multiple times. It bears repeating multiple times. These move incredibly fast. And if you hesitate here, you die. It is as simple as that. <clears throat> if you're trading an individual stock, i.e. not trading the SPY or the CUBA, trading individual stock, you want to be sure that the sector and the market are going with you. Sounds common sense. You'll see when you, I mean, we've said it all the time elsewhere, but now you'll see it here. After you're successful in this methodology, if you decide to pursue it, and you've slowly increased your trade size to the point that it is now the same trade size as your trading account, at that point, now you can move these dollars to the trading account and treat it as one account. 
So remember what I said up front, when you, if you're going to do this, set up a different account, go to a different broker if you want to, but move the thousand dollars to a different account or same broker. You just won't be able to margin. <clears throat> I, you'll have one. Don't do this in an IRA, do this in a taxable account because I want you to be able to capture the losses that you are going to have your first couple times taking an attempt at this thing. The thousand dollars you allocate, you're going to lose it. And the second thousand dollars you allocate after four months back on paper, you're probably going to lose that one too. And the third thousand dollar chunk that you allocate, you're probably going to lose that one too. And so knowing that you're probably going to lose, you know, probably a good three chunks of a thousand dollars at a minimum as you're learning to do this, it'd be nice to be able to offset that against gains. But if you do this in an IRA, you basically just piss that money away. So run this as a taxable account. And then again, once you get the hang of this, become successful at it. And you're now able to, and you've bumped your trade size on the intradays to the point that it's the same size as what you're running in your trading account. Now you can merge the accounts and move those dollars back over into your trading account. And this now becomes another opportunity, another arrow in your quiver, so to speak, when you see opportunities. And so you, let's say you're running at a, I don't know, pick a number of $5,000 trade size with your options in your trading account. You run it that way for a while. You decide you want to try this. So now you try the intradays and get your ass kicked for a good year, year and a half. And now it finally starts to kick in. And now at some point in the future, you've bumped your trade size, writing a trading plan, just like on everything else we do. This is no different. And now you're at the point where you're pushing a, a trade size on the intradays that's the same as your trading account, let's say $5,000 trade size. At that point, if you wanna move those dollars from the intraday account over into your trading account, no problem. And now when you're going through doing your nightly homework and you see an opportunity present itself, it's the same trade size, whether, whether you're trading on a weekly chart, a 233, a 55, or down at the five or the one minute. <clears throat> okay, gave you an example on there. I just I gave you a different example, but I wrote one up for you. Um, with this methodology, remember, do not exceed 10 trades per month. Doesn't matter whether they're intraday or the bigger charts. And if you're going to do these intraday trades, you're going to want to incorporate that strategy or that into your trading plan. So you're going to have to revise your trading plan and think it through. But let me repeat, this method will result in your account balance going to zero if you don't know what you're doing. You sim trade this. You go back in time if you want just to kind of get your head around it and see what's happened in the past. But that doesn't count as one of your 25 quote unquote legitimate paper trades. Those 25 trades are you sitting here watching the candles paint a one minute, a five minute, whatever time frame you do, and you're making the decision live, not, not rewinding the, the charts using on demand with thinkorswim or pushing them, uh, rolling the charts back on cue charts. This is doing them live as they're coming at you. Remember with this, the objective on these, as with everything else that I show you how to do, the objective is a brick. 
And a brick is a proper entry, intelligent exit. You do it according to plan. <clears throat> what we're using, you're, you're applying your, your knowledge of big charts and the charting relationships of those. And now we're moving that same concept, but putting them down on a smaller charting time frame perspective. So I said earlier, you have to understand the relationship between the weekly, the daily, and the 233. But we're, what we're going to use now is a 55, a 13, and a 5. And I want you to think of the 55 as being the intraday weekly. Think of the 13-minute as being the equivalent, the intraday daily. And the 5 is the equivalent of the intraday 233. So that means then that the daily 233 is really equivalent to kind of, kind of the monthly. And so just like with the big charts, you're to be aware of the weekly monthly for big chart know-how. But they generally don't apply to intraday trades. You're aware of them. You don't ignore them, but you're not obsessed about them. Ideally, you're going to get an entry on the five. But you got to be sure that your 13 and 55 are providing evidence to take that entry on the five. In other words, think of it from a, a weekly chart perspective. If the weekly indicators are pointing up, we're looking to do a daily trade, forget about the intradays. <clears throat> I look at the weekly chart and I look at the, the indicators. If everything's pointing up, I've got white space above me. That's a pretty good indication that price is going to rise. Now, will it rise right on the very next instant? Not necessarily. What I do in that case is I watch either the daily or the 233 to pull back. Give me a red candle moment or two. And that's now going to bring down the 55 minute chart down to its lower band. And ideally that daily and or 233 end up coming down and sitting on a moving average or prior uh, like purple line. If I look at the 55, ideally it hit the band, spread the band on a lower band. And now that 50, and now we're, and I see that I'm sitting at a support area on the daily and or 233. Now the 55 hit the band, spread the band, comes off the band. Within a candle or two of leaving the band, I get a 3x. Going in the direction of the weekly chart, coming off a support at the daily, as an example, daily indicator still pointing up, that trade's going to work. Not a guarantee, but that's a really high probability trade setup. Now I do the same thing on the intradays, but my 55 is the weekly. So I'm looking for scenarios where if I'm trading bullish, I want to see the 55 pointing up. The 13 or the five gives us a pullback, maybe comes down, sits on a, a moving average or a purple line. And the five and or one now hit the band, spread the band, come off the band. 3x. Boom. There's your entry. No different than what we do weekly, daily, 233.55. Same concept applies 55, 13, 5, and 1. It works best when the 55 is continuing a move before you're jumping in on the 5 or the 1. Everything that you've been taught about the big chart, the rules on the big chart, are applicable when we move down to the small charts.
And once you truly understand the relationship on the weekly daily 233, as well as the 5513.5, once you understand that relationship, the setups literally jump off the page at you. And what I shared earlier in the year, I think it was March or April, when I talked about the reasons to do a trade, that reasons rationale works really well with the intraday trades. Here's an example of some tickers you can look at, just a variety of ETFs. <clears throat> I, I didn't include SPY on there, but include SPY. Should be included. The ones where I see the most of them are SPY has the most volume by far. Q's has very nice moves. Yeah, sometimes I'll look at uh, uh, the Russell, which is IWM. <clears throat> and the others are there. If those uh, sorry, if those sectors are moving well, they're worth taking a look at. But trades show up pretty regular with just the spies and the cues. My end. Um, next thing we're going to talk about is either a crushed sector or a crushed stock. Because all sectors are going to get crushed from time to time. And individual stocks are also going to get crushed. What you do is you look at weekly and monthly charts to find a crushed sector. And you want to see all the indicators vibrating at the bottom with price on the weekly lower band. Chris has shown you a bunch of these this year. Then what you want to see, you want to hear or see CNB poop, CNBC poop on the stock. What that means is they get talking heads that come out and they keep bashing that particular stock. And when they do, you'll see that the stock does not go down appreciably. It tends not to have as much an effect anymore. And when that happens, typically we're at the bottom, unless it's going to be a bankruptcy or something. But if it's then done going down, that doesn't mean it's ready to go up. But it's not highly likely to get worse. And this ends up being a potential buying spot for a no-cost account. And we talked about this back in February. It's not the place to expect the stock to start rising again. But it's possibly also maybe a candidate for the hope chest, right? Where you would look to buy a few thousand dollars worth of this, <clears throat> drop in an account with the idea being that you give it to kids or grandkids, 20, 30, 40 years from now, it may turn into something. So the crushed sectors or stocks can either be a candidate for the no-cost account or the hope chest. I haven't talked about the hope chest a lot, but my idea on this is your hope chest would eventually contain eh, ballpark 20 stocks, 20 shares, not 20 shares, but 20 names. Excuse me, with maybe 500 shares of each one. Trades you do on expiration Friday, which so you and say, well, wait, we have weekly expiration. We do it every week. Eh, I look at it on a monthly basis just to see. So the first one I always call is throw away money. Only use as much money as you would be comfortable throwing in the trash. And if you're not at that level, yet where it, you're going to be upset about losing the money, then don't do this trade. Trade usually doesn't work, and you're likely to lose the entire amount. And you should expect to have many losses with this strategy, but the occasional large winner will usually more than offset the losses. What you're doing is you're trading stocks with an upcoming event. Could be splits or earnings or splits or splits or splits or earnings or splits and that you want that event to be scheduled for a Monday or Tuesday that follows expiration Friday. 
And if the charts show that price is starting to rise on expiration Friday, maybe even possibly near the end of the day on Thursday, what you can do is buy one strike out of the money, buy a call that expires at four o'clock on that Friday. Now, don't go against the overall market and don't go against the bigger charts on this stock. So if they're pointing down, don't do this. If the market's selling off, don't do this trade. And don't even consider doing a put, go find something else. Most of these quote-unquote event stocks can start a move about two or three days in front of the event. And if the move does occur, you can see a large return on the out-of-the-money calls. Typically, the trade doesn't work, but the occasional winner can offset, more than offset the number of losers. Okay, so that's throwaway money. Some of you go, I don't have throwaway money. I only do that trade. It's like, great, don't worry about it. I'm just telling you it's there. Second one you've got is free money. <clears throat> so at the open on expiration Friday, selling at the money or out of the money put on a stock that's got good news and a rising chart, and you're selling puts that expire today, third Friday of the month. So do it on a monthly, on a monthly option, but only do it if you can watch it during the day. And if the market or the stock rises sharply, just let the option expire worthless. You don't need to fight the overall market. So if the market's selling off, you could follow the opposite rules and sell naked calls instead. And what you do is consider buying back the option immediately when the trade's going against you. Do not get exercised. With both of, the, with both of these strategies or methods, you want to practice a bunch before you start using real money. And you got 12 opportunities every year for each one of these things. You got 24 potential trades there that I just gave you every year. It's not going to show up every month, but you'll see as you go try that. Any questions on these? It's pretty straightforward. I, I put everything on the rules that you need in there. Chris alluded to a little bit earlier, we we're going to talk about tweezer tops and bottoms. Tweezers work best when they're outside the bands. So for a tweezer top, you want to see the top price of both candles being eh, visually the same. Don't get out of micrometer and measure it. You want to see a white candle followed by a red candle. <clears throat> For it to be a tradable tweezer, you want to see the tops outside the upper band. And you look at these enough, you tend to be more, I won't say excited, but you look at it with a more positive eye when the second candle engulfs the first, if you can get that, or at a minimum, at least goes halfway through the body of the first candle. For a tweezer bottom, you want to see the bottom price of both, both candles, again, visually the same. No need for a micrometer. And that's going to be a red candle followed by a white candle. So big down candle and then a white one coming back up. And for it to be tradable, the bottoms need to be outside the lower band. Practice these. When you look at these, pay attention to all the charts. It's not just about that one chart with the tweezer. You would prefer that the indicators are verifying. But if the indicators are not verifying on the tweezer chart, you'll typically find an entry on a smaller time frame. Please highlight that. They are all over the place. Just have to be looking for them. Okay, a couple things too. Let's talk about gaps, both gap up and gap down. We gap up to go up, we gap down to go down. Eventually, you don't just quickly buy calls when there's a gap up. You wait for the bounce. 
and then you only trade the bounce if there's enough potential bounce. So let's say a stock gaps, I don't know, $20. It could bounce $5. A $3 gap might only bounce a buck. But if it's volatile enough, you can trade the bounce using the small charts to try and capture the bounce. And it's also gonna depend on the stock. You always gotta ask yourself, does this stock move? Is it volatile enough? Let me talk about another account that we're gonna add now to our structure. And it is called what I call the freedom account. <clears throat> and to talk about it, let me start by reviewing two items that we covered in POWs. I want you to think back to class two in POWs. And if you think back to the exit criteria that I talk about in class two, the exit criteria is a buck and out. And when you first heard that, you probably thought, all right, stock moves a buck, get out. Then once you started looking at options, you started to question is, well, maybe he means a buck on the option. And I'm, I'm, I usually answer that question pretty nebulously, but after you practice for a while, you figure out that if you get $1.50 to $2 on a stock move, that usually work, will work out to more than a buck on the option. <clears throat> I say it in every class. So I know that I've told you when you were in class, if you never progress beyond the buck, you could live a very, very comfortable lifestyle simply by being consistent in grabbing that small amount, just grabbing the dollar. But what happens, most of you ignored me because you want the boasting um, feeling, the ego stroke of getting the big dollars. And as you went along in your practice, you discovered it's really not that difficult to find a stock that'll move a couple of dollars. <clears throat> and in every class, I asked in the POWs classes, I asked veteran, veteran students, how much did the stock move on your recent trade? And I ask it in terms of dollar movement. And I also ask it in terms of percentage movement. Now, if I were to ask anybody on the call today, what's a common percentage move that you might see in a stock that gives a, tr a 3X setup, right? Or you can call it a 901, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter, but a triple cross. And most people would say, yeah, probably 4%, maybe even higher. Everybody would agree that 2% is a no-brainer. And you can usually find that on a 55-minute chart if you felt like looking at it or had the time to do so. So that's the first item. Second item I want you to think back on is the gift book, the ultimate gift, right? And the part of the class that gets the most feedback in POWs is when I explain the idea behind the ultimate gift. And when I tell everyone I want a phone call when you've reached your goal. And I'm assuming that you're all trying to acquire an amount of money such that you get to time freedom, right? From page one in class one, that's typically what most people write down for their goal or their dream. They want to be at time freedom. It's the goal of having freedom of your time. Some people call it financial freedom, but I like the word time freedom because your time is free so you can use it how you choose. So with those two elements as kind of the backdrop or an introduction, 
let me talk about another account, another structure in your financial wall. And it's called the freedom account. The task for each one of you to get done in order to be free, you have to know how much money you need every month to cover your expenses. <clears throat> and when I mean expenses, I'm talking about your rent, your mortgage, right? Whatever you got. If you got a car payment, car insurance, any kind of car expense, food, utilities, entertainment, health coverage, add it all up. And I'm talking about your expenses at today's lifestyle. Now, some of you will say, well, I own a couple of rental properties. Do I include the mortgage payment on those? If your, if your cash flow, if your rent is covering it, I wouldn't. But if you want to include it to be safe, it's totally up to you. So whether you choose to include it or not, that's on you. Just understand that if you don't, if you do include it, sorry, if you don't, if you don't include it, that assumes that your rent will always be able to cover that expense. If you do include it, just understand some of the rent is going to cover some of that. However you want to calculate it, totally up to you. But I'm talking about your expenses at today's lifestyle. Not the dreamy expense when you go buy the expensive home or the different car or, you know, take expensive vacations, whatever you're going to do. Today's lifestyle. And maybe, if you think about it, maybe even a bit less expensive lifestyle if you're currently living beyond your means. So if you're spending too much, look to what can you do to cut that back? But each of you must come up with a number that you've determined is the freedom amount for you. So some of you might have a lifestyle that costs $5,000 a month to maintain. Some of you might live on $3,000 a month. Some of you might spend double the 5,000. I don't know, that's on you. You, you gotta figure out what your number is. And it's not a judgment call as to whether you spend too much or it's not a judgment call that maybe you, you live too frugally. Whatever your number is, that's what's important. Now, whatever that monthly expense number is, I want you to double it. Okay? So if you use, let's say your, your monthly run rate is $5,000, your freedom amount now is 10,000. So the freedom amount we're looking for is $10,000 per month. <clears throat> and what you're gonna do is you're gonna start a freedom account whose purpose is to generate your freedom amount. You go, well, wait a minute, that's what my income account does. No, it doesn't. Your income account is to replace the income from your current job. That is not the purpose of the freedom account. Hear me very carefully. You wanna be able to create your freedom amount on a weekly basis. Let me say it again, this is not your income account. It's a freedom amount, and they're different. You wanna be able, and you're not gonna do this right away. Ultimately, you wanna be able to create your freedom amount on a weekly basis. So your freedom amount is twice your monthly expenses. And if you think about it, if you were making that amount of money every week or most, meet, most weeks, you'd very likely consider yourself to have time free. If you've been through fast track before, and or if you've been doing the work up to this moment, everything falls right into place. If you haven't been doing the work, 
either the one and done homework that gets assigned most months or doing the ongoing prediction work. Maybe this will be what gets you motivated to do the work because this is an outcome from doing the predictive work on stock price moves. You wanna be able to develop the ability to know some stocks on your workspace using a subset of it where you can look to buy stock early in the week. It's a stock trade, not an options trade. But you buy stock early in the week. We don't do synthetics. We just buy stock. And then look to sell it either later that same day or later that week. And the goal is to make at least 2%. You'll probably do somewhere between 2 to 4%. And you do this on stock. <clears throat> Now, if you want to trade down on the really small stuff, you might have to do two trades that each get 1%. I'll let you figure that out. You can also do this by shorting stock. If you're going to short stock, then you're going to need a margin account. We're not, we're not getting the margin account to borrow the money, but you need a margin account so that you can short stock. That also says if you're looking to short, you won't be able to do this in an IRA. So I'm looking to do this in a taxable account. So let me give you an example. Let's say your monthly expenses are 5K a month, so $5,000. So simple calculation, your freedom amount is $10,000. So in order to generate $10,000 from a 2% move on stock, the question you gotta ask yourself is how much do you need as a balance in the freedom account. <clears throat> the easy way you can do it one of two ways, take $10,000 divided by 2% divided by 0.02, or what you can also do is just take that, your, your monthly expense amount, add two zeros to it, and you get the same answer. So $5,000 add two zeros gives you $500,000. So we're looking to get an account balance of $500,000. 1% of that is 5,000, 2% of that is 10,000. 2% is my freedom amount. So that means that if, now some of you go, wait, I don't have half a million dollars. Don't worry about it, understand the concept. If you buy, if your freedom amount, sorry, if your monthly expenses are 5K, your freedom amount is now double that 10K. So if you bought 500 grand worth of stock early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, and then you sell it later on. You make 2% on the trade. 2% on half a million is $10,000. And you did that in the week. If you didn't see another trade for the rest of the month, you covered your monthly expenses after tax. So if you made $10,000 on the trade, ultimately you're going to get a tax bill of 5K on that. And that leaves you 5K left over. I just covered your monthly, you just covered your monthly expenses. And we're looking to do this on a weekly basis. If you wanted some motivation to do the predictive work, there it is. If you've already been doing the prediction work, you already know it's not that hard to pick a stock to move somewhere between 2 and 4%. Not hard at all. 
you do this on a short subset, small subset of your watch list. You look for stocks that have been recently volatile. Look for stocks whose recent weekly activity is volatile enough such that a two to 4% in a week is a good chunk of the move. Remember, we're not getting, we're not getting the tips of the wick. We're just getting a portion of the move. So you need something that moves more than 2% or more than 4%. It shouldn't be a problem if you've got your workspace stars identified. If you've not identified your star subs and scrubs, figure it out. If you've not been doing the prediction work, get to work. Start doing the predictive work on your star stocks. There's a simple example for you. <clears throat> if your freedom amount is 10 grand, your freedom account balance target then is gonna be $500,000. Let's say that one of your star stocks is $50. <clears throat> so the 500K account balance on a $50 stock that says, if you had a buy point there, you'd buy 10,000 shares of that stock. Stock moves a buck. You've already been doing bucking out since day one in POWs. A dollar on a $50 stock, that's 2%. Close the trade. 2% on half a million dollars is 10 grand. There's your freedom. Take a deep breath. Smell that. That's the smell of freedom. I've been teeing it up for you since day one in POWs, telling you to do the work, telling you don't, you don't need to go chase the big returns, just get bucking out, be able to do it consistently. Make the brick, get a high batting average, keep your losses small. Now, if that personal amount, for, for that personal freedom amount, that sounds like a lot of money to you today, don't look at the end result. Don't look at the half a million dollars. Just focus on the process. Just get started. You get started with a few thousand dollars. You don't need much. And you just keep compounding the gains. And I promise, just put pencil to paper. It adds up quickly. I did the math because I was curious. If you made... 10% in a month, it takes about 60 months. If you start with like four or $5,000, it turns into almost a million dollars in five years. It's pretty damn close. And the way I can do that, going out your calculator, 10% compounded, 60 months, gives you 304 times your starting balance. That says if you started with $4,000 in doing this, you'd be at a million two in five years. That's assuming no taxes, you're gonna have to pay tax along the way. But that's how the number works. That's starting with $4,000. You say 10% a month, that's crazy. But really? A dollar on a $50 stock is 2%. Do that four times, do that once a week. And 2% is tiny. 
you compound that a few times each month. The number grows fast. That's getting it to a million. We only needed to be at half a million. It's much less than five years. If you'll run the numbers like that, you put, you can build your own spreadsheet. You can see it. It grows fast without having to start with a big number and without having to have huge ROIs on a per trade basis. The objective is to do it every week. Now, I promise you, it is not going to happen every week, but that's what you're looking to do. And I also promise you, if you do it right, you'll see more than 2%. So I don't care that you miss a week or two each month. It doesn't matter. You do not force the trade. If it's there, you take it. If it's not there, sit on your hands and wait. You wait for the prom queen to show up. You don't date ugly people. You don't date ugly trades. You get two or three of these weeks, two or three weeks out of most months, <clears throat> you're generating a minimum after tax of double to triple your monthly expenses. After tax, double to triple your monthly expenses. Hear me loud and clear on what I'm about to say. Once you get this, you will not have financial problems. Once you get this, you will not have financial problems, but it will not solve non-financial problems. But you'll be free from financial problems because if any problem that you're facing can be solved by writing a check, it ain't a problem. That's freedom. That's the purpose of the freedom account. You got to practice this. You want to practice this a lot so that you can build the confidence when you're ready to start doing this with real money. When I do this in the live class, it is fun to watch people's eyes because they are either staring at me or they're staring off in space saying, holy shit, I never thought of it that way. It's a small return. I'm not looking to, to hit home runs. I don't need a 10 or 20. I don't need to pick up coin when it gapped down and it ran 100% in a month. Don't need to do that. Coin had lots of opportunities over the last month to step in and grab 1% or 2% in a week. Small time frames. It was there regularly. You didn't have to hold it overnight if you didn't want to. If you're nervous about holding it. I suspect some of you might have a little bit difficulty sleeping tonight. And if that's you, I don't think you're going to complain. <laughs> because this is pretty cool. If we were in the room, I'd have you turn and talk to your neighbor. But I'll let you noodle on this as well. Any questions on it? John, you had one. You have a question about the exit criteria. Yeah, Chris, I'm trying to compare the freedom account and the income account. So I know with the freedom account, with both of them, we're going to have a, a proper entry. And it sounds like if I were to take that same trade in both accounts, I'd exit the freedom account at the buck and out, and I'd use a charting reason to exit on the income account. Uh, John, don't think of it necessarily as buck and out. I don't want to hold this thing over the weekend. 
Got so it. I'm in this thing for a short move. It's it's like a 55 trade or even a smaller time frame. Got it. Because I'm looking to do most. I'd look to do these generally about one a week. That helps. But, Thank you. No problem. The idea on this though, John, is that to do it on a larger chunk of money, smaller move. Buy stock, sell stock. Buy stock, sell stock. John, do you ever see a $30 stock that moves a dollar during the day? Yes, I do. All the time. Right? That's 3%. And you can see that move within one day. So you could, if you want to take a chunk of it, take it, take 50 cents out of it, right? There's one and a half percent and you probably find another one later on in the week. Or if you want to stay out, totally up to you. But again, the idea on this is to be able to make your monthly expenses in a week or even in a trade. Because the other way to think about the charting reasons for doing the LTH. We talked before about the time of year we make an LTH purchase, right? We buy in between July and October when the weekly candles are at the lower band, all the indicators starting to come together, ready to go up. Basically they're set up to go. It would take something very significant to cause the stock to go down dramatically from that point. And don't believe me, go back and check. Find a setup that looks like that and then see how often does it fall? doesn't mean it's never going to go lower, but if it does, it's generally not dramatic. I've never, I've never is too strong of a word. Rarely see one that goes dramatically lower than that. You're looking for a couple of situations when you're looking at charts to buy your LTH. The preferred chart is the weekly. I want the weekly to be on the lower band. The indicators crossing coming up in July, August, or September. And when that happens, I buy. There's no questions asked. That's the preferred place. An alternative that is acceptable. Where my cursor go? There it is. Acceptable alternatives when the weekly is at strong support area, not the band, not the lower band, and the indicators are verifying. And the daily is on the lower band, with the indicators giving a bullish 3x. <clears throat> That's the only two places I look to buy an LTH. That's it. There are no other time. It's going to be very rare in any given year for all 12 of your LTH names to reach those positions. Some of your LTH stocks may hit those positions in a number of years, you know, most years. And then there's other LTH stocks that don't hit that position very often at that time of year. But I need charting evidence to make the purchase for the LTH. If you go back and look at past years, you'll find it. And you'll find that you'll rarely make an LTH purchase in July. Only sometimes will it happen in August. Usually it shows up in September and it's always by the end of October because I want to own that. But if I'm going to own it, I want to own it in front of the, what is historically a bullish time of year. Now, how did I come up with this? Rarely in July, sometimes August, et cetera. I heard it in the class just like you, but the difference is I went back and I picked, I think I picked like a hundred companies, if I remember the number right. 
And I went back and I looked at each one of them going back, not 20 years, I went back 50 years. So I was picking born stodgy companies been around forever. And some of a bitch, if that dude wasn't right, that told me that. Rarely did you see a purchase in July. Sometimes you got it in August. The bulk of them showed up in September. It's really interesting. Like this dude's smart. Or wherever he learned it from, whoever taught him was smart. It works. It's not 100% foolproof, but nothing is. The one thing you have to watch out for, it is very rare for an LTH stock to show up in July. If you have a charting decision in July, you need to assess if that stock moves well or not. If it moves well, you should buy it because a move up in July can be significant enough to offset a retracement in August and September because you're catching the July rally. If it doesn't move well, you can decide to wait because you may get a chance to buy it again in August or September. That becomes a personal choice. And sometimes you'll be correct and sometimes you'll be wrong. I don't have an answer for you. It's the only one I've run into where it's like, all right, give it a go. August shows up more often than July, or August purchases show up more often than July. And typically, if you make a purchase in September or if a purchase shows up, it's usually in about the first 10-ish days or the last 10-ish days. It rarely seems to happen in the middle of September. Now watch, every stock this year will do that, just because I said that. But generally, you'll see it happens in about the first third of the month or the last third. And again, this is me doing what I'm telling you to do, which is pick 100 names and stocks and go back and test it and go, yeah, some again, he's right. <clears throat> if the charts do indicate in October, it usually shows up by about the 25th. And then it starts taking off from there. But making the purchase in the LTH is strictly based on charts. That's it. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Don't let news affect your purchase decision. If the, if the chart says to buy, you just buy. Right? We're only using the weekly and daily. No exception to that. Um, and you don't hear me use these terms in a while in Fast Track, but I'm going to talk in terms of trend, decision, and action. Think of it as being as the weekly being the decision chart and the daily is the action. And so if you don't have the decision candle ready, in other words, the weekly, then you can't trade the action chart, meaning the daily. But again, we purchase the LTH candidates on the charting merits of that individual stock. I'm not looking at market sectors, overall market, any of that stuff. And because we allocated or identified the funds that we have available on the 1st of July, <clears throat> we already know how much money we're going to put into each LTH stock when it shows up as a purchase point. One twelfth of the balance. So if we had a $12,000 balance, we're putting in one twelfth or $1,000. <clears> I have yet to hear of a student or anybody tell me that they're able to make purchases in all 12 of their LTH stocks in a given year. Right, Even the purchases that you make over the course of the, the four-month window, <clears throat> you'll almost never purchase them on the same day. So if you say, well, you know, if you, let's say you had four candidates that showed up over the course of the four-month window, it would be very rare to see all four of them show up on the same day. It could happen, 
you might have two on that particular day, but it's rare. <clears throat> and again, I've not yet heard of anybody buying all of them, all the LTH names in a single year. It's more likely you're gonna get, you know, you get one this week, you'll get one, and I don't mean this week, it's hypothetical week, sometime in July, August, whenever it is. Then you get another one three, four weeks later, and then maybe a month later, you get, might get one more. And that might be it for the rest of the year. <clears throat> so do not expect to make 12 purchases this year. Yeah, you might, reasonable expectation, three, six might be pushing it, but three to six, somewhere in there, any given year. <clears throat> and it could also be you just get one. And there will be years where no purchases show up. And because circumstances in the market may not give you the opportunity to buy. But that makes sense if you think back to the years that end in discussion that we had back in January. Years following those, sorry, the years following those ending in zero, one, zero and one are historically down periods within the decade. Let's see, we just came out of one in 2022 and look at that, that's what it was. <clears throat> If the weekly indicators are still going down through the LTH purchase months, July through October, then there's not a bottom found. Why would you want to buy an LTH stock there if we if we haven't found a bottom? Logically, that doesn't make sense, which means the overall strategy does make sense. Because <clears throat> in those years where you don't make an LTH purchase, or sorry, in those years where you don't get a setup, you don't want to make an LTH purchase. And thus, in those years where you don't make an LTH purchase, your accumulated cash just sits there. And as I said earlier, you get your choice. You can just buy T-bills if you want, just do a rolling ladder. I guess that's redundant. Do a, a, a three-month roll, ladder them. You know, every month, buy a three-month T-bill with one-third of the amount. <clears throat> or if you're comfortable with your results, if you want to put it back into the income account, put it to work, you can. That's up to you. But keep in mind, Cash is a position. The wealthiest guy in the world is sitting on more cash than anybody. <clears throat> Buffett can sit on billions waiting for an opportunity. You can surely sit on thousands or tens of thousands. But you never, ever, never forget this concept. Cash is a position. Topic then is to insure the LTH. When we insure the LTH, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to use the weekly chart because we're looking at potential weeks of decline. Now, there's aggressive insurance and there's conservative insurance. Aggressive insurance is when you decide that there's a much stronger likelihood that the stock's gonna go down than up. And if it continues to go up, you gotta take, you gotta take the insurance off. <clears throat> conservative insurance is when you see a bearish 3X on the weekly chart. If you expect, if you're, it, in your analysis on the chart, if you're expecting a long period of decline, then you can buy put leaps. <clears throat> so in the latter part of the year ending in zero or early in the year ending in one, you, for example, might purchase put leaps as insurance on your LTH stocks, but only when the weekly is indicating to do so. It's all driven by the chart. And the reason for this, this is a period of time historically during the decade when there's a slide throughout the market. And a put leap would be able to insure through that slide. The challenge is put leaps are expensive, so it's not required. 
if you can watch the market on a weekly basis, then you can buy insurance as you normally would without using put leaps. But they're an alternative when you won't be able to see the market for weeks to months. I can't imagine what your situation would be to be in to do that. But I don't know, maybe you're a, a Peace Corps worker out in the middle of Africa nowhere with no Wi-Fi or no internet access. And you'd be gone for a few months, I, whatever that may be. <clears throat> but being able to see the market allows you to remove the insurance and then possibly reinsure if you need to. Oops, I'm going too far. Nope. So the next way to monetize is we're going to sell with us. <laughs> nice slip of the tongue. <clears throat> sell covered calls in the LTH. So you might say, why even bother with covered calls? There's no reason to not try to capture small downward moves on the stock price. There's money available, right? Why not capture it? Even though we're going to own the shares forever, you can see the, the fluctuations in price. You can capture some of that movement. And so what you can do then, with, it's basically renting your stock. And what you can do then from what the prof, what you can do with the profits from doing covered calls or from renting your stock in the LTH account, one, you can use the capital to drop in the cash account to be able to buy more LTH shares of that company or of a different one when it's appropriate. And more importantly, you're raising money to pay for insurance when you have to buy puts on either that firm or on either that LTH name or a different name. For each one of your LTH names, it's kind of a fun little goal to set for yourself to see how long it will take you to re-monetize the invested amount. So if you did a, you're starting off, you buy 100 shares of a $30 stock. Say, okay, so I've got three grand tied up in there. I have $30 a share tied up. And maybe I make that purchase in September. And then the stock runs up to, let's say, 35 by January. And then it rolls over and you get an opportunity to sell a covered call when it's about at 34 and it drops back. Let's say it takes a 10% drop. It drops to 31. And so maybe you capture $2 out of that. So now you remonetize two of your 30. So your whatever that is, 6%, 7%, something like that. Now it runs back up to 35 again. It rolls back over and you do it again. You get another $2 and maybe that takes another two months. So now you've pulled out $4 out of your 30. So math-wise, that's about 13%. So if you think about it, we, in essence, were renting the stock. And within six to eight months, we just made 13% our invest on our invested capital. Maybe it runs up again up to, I don't know, 38. And it pulls back down to 35 and you get another $2. So now we've gotten $6 in total. And maybe then it starts to drop further. We get some bad news event going on in the world and the stock drops and the weekly cross is coming down. Now you insure it. And maybe the stock drops all the way down to 25. So what do we say? Uh, I don't know, 32 to 25, maybe you pick up $6 on the decline and maybe another $2 in puts. So now we're up to whatever that math is, $10, $12 on a stock that you're down 20%, right? Sitting, you bought a 30, it's down around 25 but you've remonetized as you go along. Now it powers back up to 30. 
So you're break even on the stock, but you've pulled out whatever I said it was, $12. That's a 40% return. That's pretty freaking cool. That's the beauty of this. That's why we look to sell covered calls. And so now we've pulled out, in that example, 12 out of our 30. I don't know if you can do that in a year. Let's just say you did just for numbers. I don't know if it'll be more movement next year or less. I have no way to know. But you know, if, imagine if you could remonetize it every three, four, five years. That's a nice little return. And it's just rolling back into cash and you're using that to buy more shares of that or one of the other 11 names when appropriate. Right? It's the same concept of getting the tenant the, of a rental property, getting the tenants to pay enough rent over a period of years such that the cumulative rental income exceeds the cost of the rental. And remember, we don't have a mortgage on these, right? So it's not the down payment, but it's the cost of purchasing the rental. And then once you've done it once, do it again, do it again, do it again. When you're selling covered calls, you'll only use the daily or possibly the 233. And covered calls are only done when a bearish 3X shows up. So it's similar to when you would buy puts in the trading account, as if, if this were a trading account candidate. <clears throat> if the stock's volatile enough, you can use the 233. And if it's not volatile, you use the daily. And it's going to all depend on the volatility of the LTH and how well you see the trades on the daily or the 233. One thing also, <clears throat> with the LTH, there's something you got to be aware of. I haven't talked about it before. When you sell a covered call, you're giving someone the right to take away your stock and they can buy your stock at the stock price, at the strike price on or before that expiration date. So you wanna be very aware of selling covered calls when there's little to no time value in front of events that could cause the stock to jump in price, earnings or People would look to acquire shares to get the dividend if it's a high paying dividend stock. And so with your LTH, you have to know the dividend dates when you're selling covered calls and they're published and very easy to see. And also be careful when you're selling a covered call that has little to no time value left before the dividend record date or dividend record date. Again, because somebody could exercise the calls to buy your shares to capture the dividend. I learned, I didn't even know that could happen. I learned that the hard way a number of years ago. So just be aware of oh, it. Yeah. Quick, quick question on that. Um, how much time, let's say you've got one that you don't want to lose, like my NVIDIA stock, right? Yep. Um, how much time do you typically look? You looking at getting like a month out? You looking at more than a month out? For the dividend, you mean? No, for the time value. In so time value affects your ability to get assigned, regardless of the reason. Correct? It's it's in play regardless of the reason. So yeah, typically, Dane. So if the, if there's a substantial time value in the option, they're not going to exercise you. So if I wanted to be conservative and buy something that's a month out, for example. What, or never let it get less than a month out, then I'm probably pretty safe. Sell something or buy something? Selling. Okay. So you own the shares, you sell a call, 
yep. and you got a month out, it's not so much the amount of time out there, it's how much time value is left in the premium. Oh, so it's like the buffer. It's it's the buffer that would make it, um, I guess, impractical for them to exercise the, sh the shares. Okay. Yeah. So, so for example, let's say the stock's at $100 and the option that you sold, let's say you got $8 for it. Five of it was intrinsic and three of it is time. Yep. I can't imagine somebody would exercise you and pay 103 for something that's only worth 100 unless the dividend was a $4 dividend, right? Then they might think about it. Yeah, and obviously if you're following your rules to, to get out when you, when the when it's going against you, you don't get hit by the by the it. intrinsic. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. <clears throat> hey Chris, can I ask yeah. a question? Are you at a pause point? Uh, almost, can I finish? I got like two more things then I'll be done. Yeah, it's fine, I'll hold off. Okay. Um, let's see. So I was saying, be careful when you sell a covered call with little or no time value before the dividend rec uh, record date, right? Because somebody may exercise to try and capture that dividend. And when the dividend gets distributed, it can drive the stock price lower, all things being equal. So just keep in mind, you can see this, um, you know, find a stock that pays a healthy dividend. And assuming there's no other news going on, if the stock's paying a dollar a share dividend, and you know, yesterday it was at 100, they're gonna pay the dividend overnight. So in theory, the stock value has declined by a dollar because the companies gave out a dollar per share to all the shareholders. So there's a dollar per share less value, right? The cash, the cash at the company just declined by that much. <clears throat> if nothing else changed, the value of the company is now only 99 a share. And so you'll see the stock price drop by a dollar. Now, does that mean it has to drop by a dollar? Not at all. Because good news could have come out in the market. The company may have made a positive release. A, another competitor may have something positive or negative. So it can move around. But from a ivory tower, you know, if we can control everything, this is how it works, which never happens. <clears throat> but so understand that when a company releases or pays a dividend, the cash on the books drops by that dividend amount. So if it's a buck a share, or if it's a $4 annual dividend, that'd be a dollar per quarter. And if they're gonna pay it on Monday, then Monday's close will be 100. When Tuesday opens up, it'll be at 99. All things being equal. And all things are never equal. So you just gotta keep that in mind. Um, you will not be correct at every iteration of selling calls and or buying puts. Some of those actions on your LTH, some of those actions are gonna result in a loss. Don't worry about it. Some of you have sent me notes over the years concerning you're not capturing as much of the downward move as you would like. There's a term for that, and they call it, you can, uh, you can, you can look it up on Google. It's called greed. You're not going to be able to get every dime. Don't worry about it. In the think of it this way. In the trading account and in the income account, you're selective as to what chart formation you choose to enter, and you're selective on when to exit the trades. In other words, all your trades look alike. You have a choice of 125 names. You're looking for the one that looks like all the others. But with the LTH, you've only got 12 names. And so you're going to be compelled to trade setups that aren't the most attractive. You look at it and say, that's probably going to go, but it's not a good looking setup. 
And so you'll trade it and it's not going to work out as you like. And so as a result, your batting average won't be as high. Don't fall into that trap of thinking it's going to be as good as your trading account. There's another reason why doing the prediction work is so very, very important. Once you've been doing it, it's pretty easy to only enter when you've got a beautiful 3X, a prom queen. But with the LTH, there's occasions when you have to buy puts and or sell calls when you don't have a perfect setup. And you'll improve your, and so that becomes reading the art of the chart. And you'll improve your mastery of the art by continuing doing the prediction homework. Notice on the prediction homework, I don't say, go find a 3X in the middle of the page and see how it performs, and then ignore what happens next and go find another one and do it that way. No, you go candle by candle by candle. So you're gonna assess everything and say, oh, it's likely to go up or down from here, or you can't tell. Because that's what you're gonna have to do in some of your LTH names, when you own puts or when you're short calls in protecting the holdings. You're not gonna have the beautiful setups many times on being able to make that assessment. And you have to be prepared for that. So basically you're trying to predict stock price movement without a perfect 3X. Also, one thing to watch out for when you first start off on this, it's very, very common, very, I won't say normal. I wish you wouldn't do it, but you do. But new students will frequently treat the LTH like it's a trade. Oh, it went up a little bit. Oh, it went down. Oh, my God, what do I do? Over time, you learn to relax about it. You're going to own it forever. Right? I'm not worried about it. You heard me say I was looking at a house around the corner that's for sale. I was shocked at the price. Like, oh, my God, I wonder what mine's worth. Should I? No, I'm not selling. I don't care what it's worth. It doesn't matter. It's nice to know, but it doesn't matter. The other way to think about this, many of you have got some cash in the bank or even cash in your pocket. But let me ask you, when's the last time you checked the value of the US dollar? How come you aren't freaked out or how come you aren't cheering when you compare the US currency to other currencies? Because it's possible that your US cash lost buying power today, or maybe it gained buying power, but you didn't react to that. And yet I'm willing to find a bunch of people in Greece today that would be thrilled to have gold right now, right? Based on how their currency has performed. I remember talking about, about this with Chris a number of years ago. <clears throat> in the US, it's really easy to go buy a gold coin right now. Now this particular instance might be a little bit tight on supply, but in general, we can go find them. And you're gonna pay a few dollars in, in, in a premium in an excess over the spot price. But he's in Vietnam. It's very difficult to find gold for sale there. And when you can find it, you have to pay a lot more than just a few dollars over the spot price. <clears throat> and my guess would be companies that are in political disarray, they've got probably a very large premium over spot when you get it comes to gold. So the bottom line on all this, the value of your LTH is going to fluctuate. Don't worry about it. Your perception of how you view the value of gold or how you view the value of cash should change. 
right? Again, think about the people. And I use Greece because when I wrote my notes, they had just had the currency collapse a number of years ago. But you can pick another country. It doesn't matter. So the people are in a country whose currency is about to collapse or struggling. The people there that own shares of U.S. stocks, they're not worried about the value of their country's currency. Go talk with young people in Argentina. They don't remember the ramification of what happened when the currency collapsed a number of years ago. Yet you talk with their parents, and the parents completely understand. They got burned. They will never forget. And that is why history repeats. People don't truly understand things until they feel it, until they live through it and experience it themselves. <clears throat> and once you feel it, man, I promise you, you never, ever forget. The other reason you don't want to get called out of your LTH is known as inflation tax. Say, so what the hell is inflation tax? <clears throat> Let me give you an easy example. So let's say we buy shares today of a company at $100. And while the government comes out and says our inflation is, I don't know if they're saying 7% or 5 or whatever the number is that they're saying, we all know that's bullshit, right? It's no, it's it's in the double digits. I don't know if it's 10, 15, 25, but it's well over five to seven that they're quoting, right? Way over that. And if you don't believe me, look at the price of what you're spending for things. <clears throat> but we'll go with the government numbers. So they claim that inflation is 5%. And the stock that you own, let's say it kept up with inflation. So we bought it today for 100 a year from now, it's worth 105. But inflation is also 5%. So our purchasing power hasn't increased. We've kept up. Whatever I could buy a year ago for 100, now I can buy a year later for 105. My share of stock bought it, you know, bought whatever I wanted to buy for $100 a year ago. I can sell the share of stock that I get 105 and I can purchase whatever I want. That's fine. So let's say that I do that. Excuse me, and I sell that share for 105. I can't afford that $105 item though, because I've got to pay tax on that $5 of gain. So, and you heard me say earlier, California for a high income person, your tax rate is 50%. Middle income, 24% to the Fed, nine to the state in California. So you lose a third. So whatever number you want to go with, let's say you lose a third. So that says then that you would lose 33% um, of the $5. So that would be, what, a buck 50, give or take? So that's going to be, you'll have $3.50. So what now costs you $105 in a good, you only have $103.50. And that's when you couple the tax rate coupled with inflation. I don't know what else to call it, but an inflation tax. Because it's not just that your buying power is being chewed up by inflation, but when you convert the dollars into a spendable something, you got to pay tax on the gain. So keep that in mind. Another, yet another reason why I don't want to sell the LTH. I want to avoid. Next thing is gaps. We covered gaps earlier. You got gap up to go up and gap down to go down. But most importantly is you have to trade the indicators. You don't go brain dead just because there's a gap. And a lot of times the gap will get tested. So if you have a gap up and the bigger chart indicators are pointing down, 
then we're very likely to go back and test the gap. You'll see lots of gaps around earnings, but you've always got to pay attention to the indicators. Nothing changes. <clears throat> you just expect the gaps to be tested. So as an example, you have earnings. So good news comes out on a stock, maybe related to earnings. You expect the stock to gap up and you watch for it then to retrace back a little bit. <clears throat> and maybe then you look to enter after it's backed up and now it's starting to rise again. But you don't just look at a single time frame chart, you're looking at the entire picture. Because if you just focus in on one time frame, greed's gonna get you and it's gonna make you jump into a trade immediately after the gap. You gotta be aware of that. So gap up to go up and gap down to go down usually happens, but it's not instantly. Also, when you're looking at the charts, <clears throat> it's on the smaller charts that you're gonna see more gaps than you do on the bigger ones. So, well, why is that? Well, it's due to overnight news. And the news may not be important enough to show a gap on a daily chart, but it can look huge on the 55. And typically a gap on a smaller chart will fill by the end of the day. <clears throat> but when you're looking at a larger time frame on a daily, that small chart gap, it never registers in your mind as a gap on the daily chart. As an example of that, picture a, picture a, a, a fairly good size white body candle. And now picture the next day, and you also have a white body candle, but that candle is smaller than the one to its left. So it's kind of the opposite of an engulfing candle. The one on the left is good size, the one on the right is smaller. But let's say they're both white. So what that means then, if you think about it, <clears throat> there actually was a gap from the close of Monday to the open of Tuesday. It gapped down and it rose up, rose up the rest of the day, but it didn't get as high as the high on Monday. So you've got a big white body candle followed by a smaller white body candle, which is contained within the body of the one to its left. That's a gap. If you look at that on a 55, it looks like a sizable gap. But when you look at it on a daily, you don't see it that way. Go back and look at a couple of those. You'll see what we're talking about. Or when Chris brings up charts later on, if I see one, I'll point it out to you. Um, what that says then, because of that tendency to, to have them like that, where they show up more on the 55, you're going to see the best gaps showing up on the bigger charts, both the daily and the 233. And those are the ones that are most reliable. And then keep in mind, the daily chart takes days, candles, to change the indicators. You know, every chart takes candles to change the indicator, but on the daily chart, those candles translate to days, leaps for insurance. It's a rare thing and hopefully you'll never have to do it. When there's stock specific news on one of your LTH stocks, you gotta be aware that stock specific news sometimes can be permanent. So when you hear stock specific bad news, it means it's potentially catastrophic bad news. What you look to do is buy puts and buy leaps. So way out in time, you're gonna find the at the money is cheaper, in the money is gonna be a lot more pricey, but you look to buy it as far out as available. And you wanna buy at least 20% more coverage than you own. 
So if you own a thousand shares, there'd be 10 contracts buying at least 20% more. So it'd be at a minimum, you're gonna buy 12 contracts. So about 15-ish years ago, <clears throat> BP, British Petroleum, then uh, an oil rig that blew up in the Gulf of Mexico. Let's say that BP was one of your LTH stocks. If you hear about that news, you instantly go buy put leaps on BP. So you say, wait a minute, BP, that's headquartered, not in the U.S. I get it. Understand what I'm saying. Bad news on something like that, put leaps would be an appropriate reaction to hearing that type of news. It's stock-specific bad news is where you buy put leaps. You can also look to do that when you've got market catastrophic news. So you look to buy put leaps. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so now yeah, I can- So I think in your uh, handouts, you guys should have a, a blank page on naked trading. So just kind of take notes on that. All right, so we'll go through uh, some things to think about uh, as it relates to naked trading. Um, we did run through, um, you know, concepts of that in the, uh, I think the first class of the year on, uh, you know, more on options. And so we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into naked trading. Okay. Um, and earlier, Chris was talking about, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, the concept of insurance. Right. And so just to, uh, you know, talk about that analogy, when you, when you look at puts, they're, they're, seen as uh, insurance. And so in naked trading, when we sell uh, puts, okay, that's like you becoming the insurance company. And you're, what you're doing is you're looking for opportunities where you would sell insurance, okay? And so, you know, think about that. You, you start your own insurance company, uh, you are the underwriter, right? And you get to determine the contract size and the benefits, you know, that you would approve. And so you don't wanna, uh, approve everyone, right? You're looking for great, uh, you know, situations or setups on the charts or scenarios where you would sell insurance, right? And it's kind of like, so I, I, you know, I've, I've shared with this uh, or with a number of people um, to think about, you know, it would be great to sell fire insurance to Eskimos, right? Or it would be great to sell fire insurance after everything has burned down, what we just talked about earlier. So what you're doing is over time, you're recognizing that situation on the chart, right? So that you can do that, okay? And, they will, and they'll become uh, obvious with uh, experience, okay? And um, so uh, this, you know, uh, selling, we'll talk about more on selling puts versus selling calls because selling puts is really trading uh, to the upside, okay? You're, so you're looking for, uh, you know, when, when there's a movement, uh, to the upside, when you want to capture it, you can capture it by selling puts. Okay. So, you know, think about it, right? Before we would buy calls, but here we would sell puts. Okay. And <clears throat> when we trade, we normally, right, uh, we see that there's more opportunities trading to the upside than to the downside. Um, and that's, you know, generally, uh, that's how the market tends to move. Uh, more to the upside than to the downside. And when it does move down, it moves, you know, quick and fast. And so there's not a lot of, uh, 
um, opportunities there. But, you know, once in a while, you will get good opportunities to the downside. Um, so you tend to see, you know, maybe about 20% of your trading are to the downside and 80% of it is to the upside. Okay. So if we're talking about uh, uh, naked trading, probably the same, you know, the, the, the same applies. Um, you know, 80% of the time we would be selling puts and maybe 20% of the time we would be selling calls. And when you sell calls naked, that's like you're shorting the stock, but now you're just you know, uh, selling the option instead of the stock. Okay. So you want to think of it that way. Um, and this, you know, this is, this is another tool or, or, or an app that you are learning and you're building uh, so that you can run it on the operating system that you're trying to build. We're talking about installing the operating system of managing money through the stock market. Okay. And so this is another app. Okay. And so if this app, if your operating system isn't installed yet, so this app may not make sense, but that's why you're taking notes today. And at some point uh, in your development, in your, your growth, um, you will be able to do this, okay? Um, so th this is not something that I expect somebody, you know, completely new, uh, you know, just trying to trade this, learning the stock market to, to do. Um, the drawback of, uh, naked options um, is that it does require a lot more capital and funds to be able to do the trade. So just like, you know, if you want to insure somebody, you better have enough money to, right, pay for the asset if they, you know, they, they said, hey, uh, they want to file a claim with you, right? So it does require more capital um, when you're just straight out buying uh, a put, right? You're just, you're just putting out, you know, what, what the put price is, right? But here, if you're uh, selling puts, you, know, you need to have that, uh, you know, basically that strike price, not, not, the, not the price of the put, but the, the strike price that you're insuring it at, okay? Um, so it does require uh, more, more capital to do that, okay? And so at some point you will, uh, you know, have a, a healthy size account that, you know, you're able to do that uh, with, all right? Um, and you can practice, of course, you always want to practice uh, before you get there. <clears throat> and again, this is more uh, art than than the science. And, you know, somebody earlier was talking about, you know, when do I decide where I should apply the art, you know, in what accounts and all that. Um, you know, when, when we talk about the art, it's not about you trying to experiment. You know, the art is developed over time through your experience. Um, and it's something that you just kind of, you know, uh, it comes to you naturally uh, over time. It's not something that you just decide, oh, I'm going to do an art trade here. No, the art, the art of it is built over time and that allow you to recognize the trade and be able to do it comfortably. If today you don't recognize it and you think, oh, it's an art trade, you know, and you're not comfortable doing it, but you're going to do it. That's, that's not smart. Okay. So you, you want to, you want to, you know, uh, think about it that way. And, and not something that, oh, I choose to do an art trade here. No, the art trade, it just happens to be art, but you are comfortable with it because you built experience over time in, in, in executing it, okay? Um, when you start out, you start with the, uh, you know, kind of a smaller position, and then you can add into it uh, after, uh, and we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, mostly selling puts again, right? So you can add to the position after, you know, certain pullbacks, okay? And if, if you're selling calls, then, you know, after a bounce, okay? 
Um, selling calls is definitely more risky, right? And we talked about uh, uh, analyzing the risk. You, you know, I think that was class one when we talked about uh, options and understanding the risk. So when you sell calls, your 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 risk is definitely uh, it's it's like unlimited, right? Because you know uh, you're it's like shorting a stock, right? The stock could you know theoretically keep running uh, to the upside. Um, and it should be only done after you're successful at put selling when you're selling calls. Okay, so when you start practice, uh, I would practice doing the put selling first, right? And then when, once you can, you know, do that successfully, then you can start, you know, uh, uh, doing the uh, selling naked calls. All right. <clears throat> um, you want to do trades uh, on stocks that you don't mind owning. And so when you're you know, selling puts or selling calls, you want to do it on quality stocks. Um, don't do it on stocks that just kind of whips around and, you know, can be very gappy and, you know, especially uh, some of the biotech names and, right? Um, so you want to avoid those, okay? Because um, this will, what, what, like, as you practice doing this, uh, especially on the on selling call side, um, it'll help you get very good at printing money uh by selling cover calls right and and that'll help you in your uh long-term holdings okay and and so you know uh if you can't do well uh selling covered calls you absolutely do not uh even sell naked calls okay so you own your lth you've been practicing um and you you, you haven't figured out how to sell cover calls well don't worry about the naked calls Okay, you want to get to the point where you're comfortable that you could sell, you know, uh, cover calls, and then you get you you start doing the naked calls. Okay, so cover calls has to come first. Um, when you uh, when you you know talking about the concept of printing, uh, and you know especially coming out of a down market, uh, you get stocks that bottomed out. We talked about uh, the the no cost account in class when you buy something that has bottomed out and now it's ready to run for, you know, maybe the next, you know, for six months, 10, 12, 12 months, 18 months out, you're, you're thinking of a longer term uh, movement. Um, you could buy it and let it run and then sell uh, calls against it on certain times where it pulls back so that you can print money, right? So when it comes to printing, um, you want to have the thought process of making sure that the printer that you are buying is a good printer. Okay, which we're talking about the stock. Make sure it's a good stock. That's why we talked about it's a stock that you don't mind owning, because um, it doesn't matter how fast. Like early on, you might be, you know, the options premium looks very good when you sell, right? It'll give you nice premiums on on those uh, options, um, but you know, you get uh, you get pulled in by that. You get sucked in by you know the nice premiums, and then you realize that it's a crappy stock that that you're trying to print off of. And so that doesn't matter, right? Um, if if that printer breaks down on you, right, or the stock breaks down on you, so make sure it's a quality stock. It's it's something that uh, you know you wouldn't mind owning. Okay. Um, another uh, thing to keep in mind is, as always, do not overtrade. Uh, there will be moments where uh, or times, right, of the month or of the year uh, that you know this certain you know group of stocks or stock uh, can trade and, and move pretty well and give you good opportunities to be selling you know either puts or calls on them um, 
and you know it can be done on most weeks with uh, different stocks uh, but it shouldn't be done you know every single week okay you 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 you, you do the trade and you get excited about the uh, you know not having to do a whole lot and you know getting a pretty good return on it and then you get excited and you know it works pretty well for a month or two and then you have to recognize when you know that environment is no longer there and and so you just you you, you got to be patient and wait or or it, it may move to a different uh group of stocks in a different sector or something like that um because again we are looking for uh volatility okay We're, we don't, we don't want to be doing on this uh on stocks that are you know you're, you're basically your 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 deadbeat stocks um your scrubs right so really, we're looking at uh, star stocks and, and, and subs that uh, tend to move well enough uh, for us to do that. Um, and you'll develop the art uh, over time. Um, you'll get better, okay? <clears throat> uh, so again, naked options um, you know, should be uh, done on stocks that move well. And again, how you know it moves well is when you look at the option chain and you look at the... Uh, you know the put prices or the call prices they tend to have uh you know pretty inflated premiums and you'll you know what is an inflated premium um you'll know that okay with experience but uh just to kind of give you uh you know what a normal environment if you look at you know a, a, a typical stock and let's say on a weekly you know they most of them all have weekly uh, weekly um options now um, but if you look at a week, like one week out, okay, um, you should be able to, and, and you look at at the money. So basically, whatever the strike price that's closest to the current price, you should see like a, um, you know, a time, uh, a, a time value, right? Uh, that gives, you know, at least uh, 3% or something like that. That's, that's pretty normal, Right in in a slow time, it's you know it'll it'll be like below two percent. Okay, those are tend to be more scrubs. All right. <clears throat> so um, in a in a volatile environment, all right, that's best when for us to uh, to be trading. And when I talk about volatile, it is it's not it's not saying it's choppy. Okay, volatile has good movement to the upside and to the downside. Choppy is just kind of bounces around up and down. You know. Um, and not really giving you much of a smooth uh, movement for the trading. So we're not looking for choppiness, we're looking for good volatility. So uh, this, when the stock moves well, it'll yield uh, better premiums. Uh, so if we look at the at the money, again, uh, two to 3% on a weekly is pretty normal. And I, I would consider that as a sub, right, at the time, right? If you're uh, uh, seeing the option prices and then when you get to 5% or better, uh, uh, you know, I would consider that <clears throat> as a star stock. So for example, a, um, uh, a stock that is currently trading at $100, okay? And then we look at, a, we look at the $100 put uh, that expires next Friday, okay? So you know, we're in May here, we look at the stock that expire or the option that expires next Friday, okay? And it's the $100 strike price, right? Which is roughly the stock price, so at the money. And then you see the option is giving you about, you know, let's say it's about $5, right? Five by 520 or something like that, okay, is the bid ask. So you, when you see it's it's 5% or better, then you know, okay, that's a pretty good, decent premium, especially in this environment, because 
you know, we're not at a time where uh, things are, 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 are moving uh, well, right? So uh, you have to look at the, you know, the environment at the time as well, okay? So, and it's all relative. If all things are, uh, uh, you know, starting to move and the market is volatile, uh, you will see 5% is actually very normal. You, you A lot of times, depending on the sectors, uh, you know, oil, uh, when they when they move well and tech definitely always moves well, um, they can give you 7, 8, even 10%, all right, uh, with a week out, okay? So, um, so again, below the 2% are scrubs, and I would stay away from those. Don't, uh, I wouldn't even try to mess with it and, and, and try to, you know, uh, uh, do this type of strategy if you're if you're seeing a very low uh, volatility uh, time. All right, um, you want to always make sure uh, on earnings, and uh, you want to be aware of certain events that can cause inflated premiums. Sometimes people get excited; they see the options chain and go, "Wow, look at this! They're, they're giving a lot of you know premium on the on the, on the options um, because you're selling, right? You're, that's what you're looking for: inflated premiums. You're not buying." And so you get excited about selling something that's very, you know, uh, high in price. So you want to be careful when you see uh, that type of large premium. Uh, just do a little research and, uh, you know, see is there any type of impending events like, uh, you know, um, earnings or some type of an announcement that might be coming out, okay, uh, that could, you know, basically decimate your, your, your trade, uh, okay. So you want to avoid that. Uh, at least you're aware, um, so you know, so that you can make the intelligent decision. Okay, um, so keep that in mind. And when 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 I see things, you know, are closer to uh, that ten percent uh, or more, then you know that's definitely there's there's usually something there. Right, so really dig into that. Um, and again, this is not uh, math, even though I'm giving you guys these percentages. Um, you you got to have experience uh, looking at all the charts all the time. So at CAT, and that's where uh, our chart reading uh, experience over time with uh, doing prediction homework will allow us to kind of see where this stock is moving. You know, maybe three to five candles out, and so it'll help us be able to sell uh, maybe a week out, sometimes two weeks out, or something like that in time. Uh, and again, when we sell, right, because we're selling um, and not buying. We want time decay to work for us. So when we sell, we don't sell out a lot, you know, sell far out in time. We sell maybe this, uh, you know, current week, next week, or maybe, you know, at most, you know, the current month, right? A few weeks out. Not something that uh, you want to, you know, uh, sell three months or five months out in time. Okay. Because as time decays, um, that's going to work to our benefit because we'll, we'll get to buy back at a lower price. Okay. <clears throat> Um, weekly options, uh, is preferable, like I said, you know, but, uh, it, it can be done on the monthly, uh, options. Um, when we, uh, we, we, we use the weekly, um, based on our, you know, analysis on the daily 233 and, and possibly even, uh, 55 chart movements. Okay. Um, and again, this is like, you know, when the trade is is expected to last a few days, all right? Um, the monthly options is used uh, based kind of on a monthly, weekly chart setup, okay? So, uh, you know, the weekly takes a little bit more uh, work to manage, manage, 
as compared to the monthly, of course, right? It's a shorter uh, amount of, uh, or a shorter expiration, and you're going to have to uh, uh, be buying back or, or letting the options expire. But most of the time, you're likely going to be buying back the uh, puts or calls that you're selling naked, okay, instead of letting it uh, uh, expire worthless, all right? Um, a rule that you want to consider is uh, usually like when, let's say you sell a, a, a put and um, there isn't much uh, value left in the put, right, or the call. Let's say usually when it's about, you know, it starts to get under 1%. Okay, so the example I used earlier is let's say we, we, we have a $100 stock and you sold next week's at the money for $5. Okay, and then, you know, as the, uh, in the coming days, uh, you're, you're not at expiration yet, right? Because it expires on Friday. Let's say on a Wednesday or even a Tuesday, you look at the uh, chart and everything looks, you know, looks fine. But, you know, the, uh, the, the, the option price has like maybe less than a dollar left. Okay, so that's, you know, on $100, that's less than 1% left. So something you sold for five is now worth, let's say, 80 cents, 90 cents. You want to consider buying it back instead of saying, hey, let me just go out and, and squeeze out that last 70, 80 cents. Okay, uh, that's typically not intelligent because um, the, the, the reward is not that great anymore. And, and you can assume a higher risk if, you know, in the next few days before expiration, there's something that can cause the stock, right, uh, to, to, you know, just maybe tank or something if, if you're buying a put or if you're selling a put. Right. And so, you know, it doesn't make sense. Right. You want to start. And, and when you buy it back, what it what allows you to do is, OK, now that I bought it back, I close out the position. There might be other opportunities uh, that I can, you know, leverage the funds uh, uh, to to put on a new trade versus let me just, you know, chase what's left of that 70, 80 cents. And there'll be some times that it makes sense. Let's say it's, you know, it's, you know, it's about to expire, maybe another day or whatever. And there's 70, 80 cents left. And there's very, very, very little to no chance that, uh, you know, that, that the charts are going to, you know, uh, uh, tank or decline on you and you, and there isn't any other opportunity for you to, you know, take advantage of as far as new trades, then you can, you may just let it expire worthless and, and right. But those are a little bit more uh, rare. Okay. Um, let's talk about at the money, in the money, out the money, uh, right. Uh, it, it can be sold depending on uh, your expected move um, and your plan, okay? If you're capturing just time decay when the charts are whipping around in the tighter range, and sometimes you're gonna see that. Uh, it doesn't have to be just in the summertime, but uh, they're more common in the summertime um, when it's kind of whipping around and you know things aren't uh, really moving one way or the other, right? But it, it but it moves and enough where uh, there is good uh, you know it's a star stock still and and there's good premiums on them. Um, you can sell at the money if that's what you're trying to do um, as far as the charts telling you, okay. And um, so uh, again, at the money is when we we're trying to just capture time decay, right? When charts are kind of whipping around. Um, and we sell out the money, right? Uh, that can be sold uh, on something that's more uh, volatile, uh, right? When when it's a, a it's a, a volatile stock or a volatile time, uh, we can sell something um, out the money. Um, 
And so, you know, for example, let's use that $100, you know, uh, stock scenario. Uh, so the put is, um, or, or, you know, the stock is currently at a hundred dollars and let's say you're going to sell uh, puts. Okay. And you're just trying to capture time value. Right. And, um, but it's at a, a, mo- a little bit more volatile time. Um, and, you know, the charts are like, um, it's really not, uh, you know, going in, in any uh, uh, major directions, but it, it bounces around, right? Um, and you don't mind owning the stock. And let's say you sell the put. So anything above $100 would be in the money. Anything below $100 on the puts right, strike would be out the money. So I may say, all right, I might sell the 95 puts. Okay. So um, if it bounces around and it gets down to around 95 or something like that, right, you're still, right, you're, you're, you're still not um, in the money yet. And, you, you know, you, you, the time decay that you capture might definitely offset that, uh, that decline. Okay. Um, so, again, you know, out the money uh, can be sold on a more volatile environment or volatile times in the stock market. All right. And then you use in the money. Uh, when you want to capture a move in one direction, all right? So you know the stock is going up or down. If it's going up, I'm going to sell in the money puts. So, um, you know, for for example, uh, the $100 stock looks like it's going to go from 100 to maybe 105, 108, something like that. Okay, I'm going to sell maybe a 110, right? Strike price, okay, put going to the upside. Right. And so you look for about a 70 delta. So, again, um, you know, we, 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 we sell in the money about a 70 delta. So still, there's still a little bit of time value. And so um, you guys have experienced this when you bought calls and puts on your trades, when you buy it and the stock doesn't move, you know, nothing moves and it really doesn't move against you, but it's just kind of going sideways. What happens after a few days is you, you, you look at the option price and, it, you know, it's got down, it's gone down. And that's because of the time decay, right? And so in this situation, we do naked calls. That actually works for you even when you, you know, you make the trade and you thought it was going to go up, but it didn't move up and it's just kind of hanging sideways. The next few days, as time decays, it works in your favor because you, you know, if you decide, ah, it's not moving, I'm going to close out the trade. And you, when you buy it back, you're actually buying it back for a lower price, right? Instead of having to sell it at a lower price, now you're buying it back at a lower price. So it does work in your favor uh, uh, when when things aren't really moving, all right? But again, if you're expecting a move and it doesn't move, you, you still got to exit the trade, right? You, you still following the rules to exit trades. You can't say, um, oh, I'm expecting it to move and it doesn't move, but I'm making money on the time decay. No, you, you don't want to, you know, risk, uh, you know, just trying to capture the time decay when the chart says, oh, it's, it's, like it's going to reverse or it's not moving now it's, it's probably going to reverse right you don't want to be stuck in that situation so you 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 still trade according to your plan okay if your plan was to uh, capture time decay and the charts are telling you it's doing that then you could you know you'll stay in but if your plan is to um you know take the trade up i mean the stock should be moving up and the stock isn't moving up and in fact it may be moving against you then you you, you want to exit the trade it's not about uh, whether the option prices are going in your favor or not. Um, so again, uh, so you want to keep that in mind. Uh, right, uh, 
sometimes a stock might not be uh, volatile in general, um, but is volatile at certain moments, okay, and vice versa. Um, there's going to be stocks that are very volatile, but certain times it's not uh, uh, as well, okay? So that's part of our, uh, you know, uh, uh, homework or a part of our research uh, or analysis of our workspace uh, through the course of the year. You know, when we look at our watch list, we, you know, start to identify the star subs and scrubs. And they're not stars in, you know, every single week, every single month. They're stars in this period right? Uh, or most of the time they're stars, and then sometimes they're not. It's the ability to recognize when they're not performing as a star, then you don't, you know, uh, 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 trade it, okay? So that's that's more important than, you know, just, you know, labeling a stock as a star, and then it's, you know, thinking it's always a star. You have to recognize when it is performing as a star, okay? Um, so again, what's important is that it's, it's, it's volatile at the time that you're trading it. Um, let's see here. Um, option prices are uh, often uh, inflated on the first hour of the trading day, right? And and sometimes they can be at the uh, last you know hour or last thirty minutes or so, something like that. Um, you know, you kind of want to consider that as you know like our, our our thought process around super six. Right uh, towards the end of the month, beginning of the month, uh, things tend to you know move well, and so you see a lot of more you know movement, prices jumping around in the early you know amateur hour, and so they, they tend to be um, you know a little bit more inflated on the option prices at that time. And then the premiums they can shrink disproportionately from Friday to Monday. It's not a linear type of you know movement uh, in the option. Uh, uh, time premium. So for example, if I sold something on a Friday and, and you know, um, come Monday comes, oftentimes you'll see, all right, even if the stock didn't move, let's say it's just, it's the same price, right? I sold that $100 uh, 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 put, right, uh, on a Friday and it was worth $5. On a Monday, it may go down to $4 or even more. It just depends, right? If, if, if I'm selling it at a time of volatility and then on Monday, you know, it wasn't volatile, it didn't do a whole lot, it could shrink quite a bit, okay? But typically uh, from a Friday to a Monday, uh, option price uh, option or time premiums tends to shrink quite a bit uh, from that because you've got this, you know, impending, uh, you know, events and stuff that might happen over the weekend, all right? So oftentimes it is good uh, uh, for selling on a Friday, okay? <clears throat> so keep that in mind and pay attention to that so that you can kind of understand how that works. Um, when you sell puts and calls, um, it's typically good uh, when you can identify uh, on a chart that is uh, showing you signs of bottoming, right? Or showing you signs of uh, a topping on the charts. Okay, uh, after especially after a huge, you know, volatile move, um, you know, think about tweezer formations that you kind of understand, right? Like usually when we look at tweezers, when a tweezer top happens, uh, what 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 happens? It's 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 rare that you know in the next three to five days or something like that that the stock would just you know continue to keep running, 
right? And if you can identify a good tweezer top, oftentimes it, it, it'll decline, or at least it'll just kind of go sideways, right? It, it Coming back inside the bands or something, just kind of bouncing around, but not really exceeding that tweezer top. And so those are also good scenarios when you can identify them and go, oh, you know, it, it put in a tweezer top at, you know, about $100 here. I might decide to sell a $100, you know, call, you know, conservatively there. Uh, I could sell that and you know, because it, it was volatile going up there when I sold the at the money call, you know, there's good premiums on it. And then over the next several days or, or uh, you know, if, it, if we're talking about a daily chart over the next several uh, three to five candles out and um, right, uh, the, the, the stock starts to quiet down and digest the move. What happened is what the uh, option uh, time premium will get sucked out of it. And so what you sold is now, you know, worth a lot less in the coming three to five days that you could buy it back for, okay? And so uh, observe on the charts for uh, tweezer tops, tweezer bottoms, and when you do see them and, you know, pull up an option chain and write down a few of those, uh, you know, uh, strike prices and see how um, uh, they change over the next uh, three to five days, okay? So again, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, and then uh, let's see here, uh, when you sell puts um, on a neutral to rising charts, uh, that's, that's actually preferable, okay? Uh, so if we, we, when we're selling puts, we, you know, we're, we're trying to capture a move either to the upside or you know, if it was just kind of neutral and it's just kind of going sideways, not really doing a whole lot, you, you, you could you know, benefit off of the selling puts. Right, so part of our uh, experience and and uh, chart reading, uh, you know, doing the prediction homework, we could identify when the charts are telling us ah, it's neutral to rising now, and uh, that you know we could use that uh, knowledge right and be able to capture uh, uh, doing put sellings. Okay, um, and again, it can be done on stocks that you don't mind holding for some duration and. And then, at, you know, if, if the stock does get put to you, right, uh, meaning, you know, uh, it, it fell or by the time it closes, uh, I mean, by the time the options expire, right, it, it's now in the money or whatever you sold is still in the money and you don't mind holding the stock, then you can let the stock be put to you, right? So, you know, it's like somebody filing a claim and now they're delivering, they're giving you your car or your home or, you know, you take it, right? And so uh, you take ownership of the stock and now you, know, the, you don't mind because the charts uh, are good and they're rising. So you could possibly hold the stock. And uh, if it's time to sell calls against it, you could do that, right? Um, so that works well on, on stocks that you've um, identified uh, that have likely bottomed and that they're no longer going down and it's rising, okay? And sometimes, you know, the stock could, uh, could could no longer indicate that, right? You at first you thought, okay, it's bottoming, but now it's showing you, hey, it's it's no longer good in right that the, that maybe the bottom hasn't been put in yet, um, or now you know the 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 run up is done, right? You you got to be able to see that and get out and no you know not just oh it's bottom it's going to run for years, right? It may bottom out depending on the time frame that you are uh, looking at. So, you know, maybe it bottomed out on the weekly and it's ready to run for maybe the next, you know, five, eight weeks or something like that. And you, you might be able to do, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, put sellings on that. But at some point when, you know, that is over, you have to recognize, okay, that's over. And so don't continue to try to, you know, uh, uh, keep trading what's not there. Okay. Um, uh, stock again, uh, just to reiterate, right. When stocks bottom or top, when we say it's bottom or top, it's on a certain time frame. Okay. They won't keep rising or dropping indefinitely. You, you gotta know the time frame. Okay. Uh, whether they're days, weeks, months, okay. It could be hours or minutes on, on the intradays, uh, for intraday traders. Okay. And it's always, uh, an art in, in, in seeing this, um, you know, I think I've given you some examples of uh, stocks historically that have bottomed, and you can go in and and look at those uh, symbols. Uh, one, uh, you know, we mentioned before uh, on, on United Steel and, uh, you know, Mosaic, MOS, right? Uh, symbol for United Steel is X. Um, and uh, Signet Jewelers did that, you know, a number of years ago, right? Uh, and then we got, you know, we got Boeing that currently, you know, um in, in in the last year or so here uh have, have shown us a bottom as well okay um other thing to keep in mind is uh do not be biased uh, to your initial evaluation or prediction right you always analyze the stock with the new information and the market with new information um at at the current state okay so whatever we thought it was going to do a week or so ago or you know a month ago whatever you know, and today it's showing us something different. We have to change it. We have to, you know, what's more important? What is it currently doing? Not what what did it what, what did it tell me it was going to do last month, right? We have to be able to uh, uh, be flexible and change. Um, so again, be flexible um, in your expectation, as 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 you know, we always uh, tell you, okay. And then again, definitely you want to be rigid in following your rules. Um, if the uh, stock is no longer doing what you thought it would do okay you got to move on uh there's so many trades available um you don't want to get stuck in any one stock right with hopium all right and just like chris uh you know talked about earlier do you have a favorite stock and you shouldn't okay you shouldn't have any favorite stock the favorite the the, the stock that is going to um give you the the, the best trade is the favorite one at that moment and then it you know when it's done it's no longer a favorite stock okay um so do not get married to a stock you know at some point it may no longer be uh suitable for naked options okay and so uh when when it's no longer doing what it's 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 been doing for you um get out or, or don't don't keep trying to force uh either trades in that sector or that stock um that's about what i got for uh for for naked trading any questions on uh any of the points that we went through or any of the info i provided to you hey chris yes um so i've been i've been setting the selling puts and calls for a bit now mm -hmm. and i'm still a little bit um hung up on calculating risk reward or reward okay. risk um Say say we have that hundred dollar stock example mm -hmm. our price, and um, we say, okay, this looks like a good candidate for selling at the money, um, and we give it about a, a week out in time. Um, 
given the fact that it's that short amount of time, if the price goes against us, um, you know, say it goes from $5 to something like seven, um, like it's, it's a pretty big, big change the next day. Mm -hmm. um, like that to me, next thing to talk about is your 401k along with your IRA. They are not your income account. Don't treat them as an income account. Someone was asking earlier about it today. Also, they're not your LTH. It's not where we store them. So don't treat them like a long-term holding, um, holding zone area. You want to trade them so you can take advantage of the tax of deferral and or tax avoidance benefits, whether it's a, a traditional or a Roth. To me, it's a trading vehicle, not in a trading account, but it's not an investment vehicle. I'm, I would think my, the way I look at it, I want to trade those eh, five to 10 times a year if I had to use mutual funds. And I can trade a little more when trading stock. And it all goes back to your comfort level, right? If you're not comfortable with this yet, don't, don't do anything in the IRA because it's too hard to reimburse. Once you're comfortable with that, you can simply just buy, sell stock and or you can use synthetic, which we covered back in January, February, where appropriate. And post splits are a great vehicle within an IRA. I, thought, I alluded to this a little bit earlier today. So I think it was AJ that was asking about this. So you're your timing was good. I don't know if you had read ahead to, to know that you were going to be talking when I was going to be covering this a little bit later on. But here's an eye-popping money management strategy to think about. And you could consider doing this after you've done a few iterations of your Ultra account. Don't make it your first iteration with the Ultra. Run the Ultra a few times to get it up to whatever a sizable number is for you. And then think about running it, an Ultra, on a Roth account. Take a small portion of a Roth and run an ultra on that. If you've listened to the testimonial that I was referencing earlier, average return that you'll see on options, if you're exit, if you're trading them properly, is yeah, 20 to 30%. That's not a stretch. If you take an average number there being 25%, if you ran an ultra, with not 10 trades, but 10 net wins. So, and the assumption on that is that your loss is at max the size of your win. Hopefully it's less than that because you're running off a two to one risk reward. <clears throat> but at worst case, if your loss is the size of your win, and let's say you're running with seven out of 10 as a win rate, so that means over 10 trades, you get seven wins. Three of those are losers. So you pay for those with max three of the winners. So now you're at a net four. Run another 10 trades. <clears throat> that would give you a net eight. Run another 10 trades. That gives you a net 12. If you run a 25, an average of a 25% gain, and you do that over 10 wins, it effectively adds a zero to your starting balance. You can run, a, you run this on a calculator, you can figure it out. It's pretty straightforward. So 
you don't even need to get to, if you get to 12, you're well beyond that adding a zero. Now imagine doing that in a Roth, start with a thousand dollars. X number of trades, now you're at $10,000. And if you freak out along the way, no problem. Start back at $1,000. But now run that up to adding a zero. So one goes to 10. Start over, do it again. So let's say your Roth was a $5,000 balance to begin. I'm just making up numbers as I go. And you're going to trade 1,000 of those five. The other four sit in cash. You do that over 10 winning trades or over a net 10 wins. That 1,000 turns to approximately 10. So that says your balance is now 14. Start over. Use one. Do it again. Now, you've had, now your balance is about 24. Started with five. You've only had one at risk. You've had some gains, right? But if, if you're to lose, you're giving back the market makers money. We never risked more than our start. We've stayed well under our starting Roth balance. Now, what do we say I'm up to 24? Maybe at this point now, maybe you start with two and run it for 10 net wins. That two turns into 20. Now your balance is at 44. Do it again at two. Turns to another 20. Now your balance is 64. You see where I'm going with this? And I'm not necessarily, I'm not pushing all in on a big number. I'm using a portion of the balance. Imagine you do that a few more times. <clears throat> so now you, you're running, and however long that takes you, it takes you a year, two years, I don't know. But now you're sitting with 100K balance in your Roth. Maybe at that point, you're comfortable pushing $4,000 on a trade. Run the 10 trades. Four turns into 40. I don't know if you'll vomit along the way or not. Maybe that's too big for you. I don't know. That's all going to depend on you. Maybe you stay at two. Two turns into 20. If you're trading the smaller time frames, it's not a stretch to find 10 of those in a month. If you're trading on the larger time frame, you can find 10 of those in a quarter. That's a nice number. And you get to the age where you can withdraw that, that's a tax-free withdrawal. The power on this is eye-popping. But you have to get to the point of being able to recognize a foundational trade setup, be patient to wait for it, proper entry, intelligent exit done according to plan, be able to do that consistently, and then work on your psychology so that you're not adding, acting like a greedy fool, an idiot. Don't be fearful. Follow the rules. It's all the rules that were listed in class one of POWs. It's all right there. The requirement to do that is twofold. The first one is discipline with a cap. In fact, the whole word is capitalized, not just a capital D. The whole word is capitalized and bolded. And the second thing you need is experience. 
the strategy isn't going away. If you're just starting out to, oh, I got to get there tomorrow. No, you don't. It's waiting for you when you're ready. But when you have those two elements, the impact on that is life-changing. When you're running that in an account that has a tax-free aspect to it. The weather. There are specific, I guess, horrific events that show up that you'll likely be able to profit on, if not this year, but at least in years going forward. Hurricanes and earthquakes are two examples. <clears throat> First one to talk about is a hurricane trade. So when you hear that there's a hurricane spinning in the ocean, it becomes a potential trade when it is forecast to make land. And it becomes a hurricane trade the instant it's announced that it's gonna strike the US mainland. <clears throat> With that, you got upside trades. Could be uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Briggs and Stratton, right? They make generators, Clorox with bleach, maybe a, a lumber producer, timber producer, because you're gonna need plywood and it's scarce. And any other companies that participate in the recovery after the hurricane leaves that area. These stocks typically don't move well. We're just simply looking to make a brick. And the trade is over once the hurricane hits land. <clears throat> you might have, I don't know, maybe 24 hours once it hits land, because then communication and info will be known about the extent of damage. And if you think back what I'm talking about, think of the one that hit Naples and Fort Myers um, about a year ago. <clears throat> They knew it was bad. They didn't know how bad it was until it had cleared, unless you live there. But communications were down. If you see, if you're aware of a hurricane that's spinning out in the Gulf of Mexico and expected to hit the eastern Texas, western Louisiana coast, go do some research to see which oil firms will be affected. Because if the hurricane is going to hit the mainland, oil can move to the upside. <clears throat> So as an example of that, Valero was not affected, but it went screaming through the roof movement-wise when Katrina hit back, whatever that was, 10, 15 years ago. There's about eight refineries that are located and isolated around New Orleans and the Texas coast. You want to find out which company has refineries there and where they are specifically located. So those are the potential upside trades. Now, what are the downside trades? Well, you got insurance companies. <clears throat> and it's nice to know in advance where their coastal coverage is clustered, if you can find that out. So, and if you don't find it, you know, say there's a hurricane that's gonna hit tomorrow, you won't be able to find out between now and tomorrow. But if you're paying attention, wherever that hurricane happens to be, They'll talk about it on CNBC at some point, and they'll say that, oh, uh, I don't know, Chubb was a large insurer in that region. And you'll see that as a result, you'll see an impact to the stock price of that particular insurer. That doesn't help you for that particular one, but keep that in mind because if another one comes through there, there's a chance that they are the predominant insurer there. But over time, you'll start to, it, the universe does a wonderful thing. It, it drops little hints for you if you know when to listen. 
<clears throat> and by you putting it out there in your mind, like, hey, I need to find the answer to this question, you almost don't need to Google it. It'll show up in some point on a discussion. You'll just overhear it if you're listening. What you can do if you're unsure, you can call investor relations at that insurance firm and see if you can find out if the company and what percentage is on the Atlantic and or Gulf Coast. You know, way back when, Chubb covered like 90% of Hilton Head, South Carolina. I don't know if that's still true today. But now once you know which companies are insuring which parts of the country or have a heavy prominence or preponderance in a certain area, then when it's announced that a hurricane's gonna hit that area, that stock is likely to decline for a day or two after it hits land. And you can go back and research past hurricanes to see this in action. <clears throat> then you've got another ability there or another opportunity there with earthquakes. Something like 80% of the production from the Pacific Rim, so India, Vietnam, China, et cetera, comes through the port of Long Beach, basically in the, the southern, not even southern part, but southern part of LA County. Um, if an earthquake hits this area in Southern California, listen for damage to the port and or its infrastructure. <clears throat> if you live here, it's very easy to drive by and see. If you don't live here, you can do a Google, a Google map search, you can see. But if you go to the Long Beach port and or the LA port, and it basically runs between the eastern edge of Palos Verdes from San Pedro, down to almost Seal Beach or the west, the western edge of Long Beach, and you've got the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of L LA, or, or sorry, Port of LA and the Port of Long Beach right there. If you look at a map, you'll see the 710 freeway runs north from there and heads towards LA. And if you look at a map, you'll see rail that is hugging that as well. And so what happened is product comes off the ship. I'm assuming the uh, the dock workers are not moving slowly. It gets loaded on trucks. If you've driven the 710, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're, they're heavy heading north. And you'll also see rail going through there and from there. And then it heads out to distribution centers out in the Inland Empire, Riverside area. And from there out to the rest of the country. If we have a bad earthquake and there's damage on either the 710 and or the rail lines there, that's going to have an impact across the rest of the country. Now, living here, I hope that doesn't happen, but living here, you know, that stuff, it shakes every now and then. We haven't had a good one in a while, I'm not saying that we will, but you just got to be aware of that. And that says then, again, if the highways are down or the rails are impacted, that could have a huge impact on food and other products as it ships around the rest of the country. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean when we get an earthquake in Southern California, you go jump. Decade and a half ago, there was a major earthquake out in El Centro. If you don't know where El Centro is, um, find San Diego on a map, go about 100, 150 miles inland, right on the Mexican border, maybe halfway to Arizona. Um, huge produce growing region. There is little infrastructure there. While it's a big source of food and produce, there's not much infrastructure there. And there was major damage there, but that it's, it's basically dirt. 
it doesn't hurt anything. They're still able to, it's very easy to do a bypass for a road to get around it. So while the, while the size of the earthquake was large, the extent of damage was very small. So just with, just because you hear earthquakes in Southern California doesn't mean you jump. You got to be aware. But back to there being an impact around Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles. If there is an impact to rail and or the highways there, don't be surprised if a lot of store shelves are empty. And as an example, it used to, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but it used to be that Walmart turned their inventory about every 45 days. And you want to think about what happens if Walmart misses just one inventory turn. Think of the impact that has on revenue. Think of the impact that has on profitability. And the volume of product that would be unavailable in the U.S. is staggering. Walmart's the biggest retailer in the world. You could argue Amazon as well. But that type of effect or that type of um, act, natural disaster, if you will, that wouldn't affect just Walmart. It would affect nearly everybody's business. And so as an example, if you own Walmart in your LTH, probably be a wise thing to buy insurance if you had an earthquake doing damage in that region that I was speaking of. So back to what we talked about in doing the news, weather can be a driver of the market. Natural hack or natural, what's what I'm looking for? Acts of nature, can't think of the word, forces of nature, act of God, whatever you call it, could have an impact and can and, and will have an impact on the stock market. Options trade, and it's called snowballing a position. Move the chive up for you here. So what you want to do in this methodology or this technique, if you will, think of a snowball that's rolling downhill. And the longer it rolls, the bigger it gets and the faster it goes. And so this is an additional strategy for trading options aggressively. If you retook fast trade, fa if you retook fast track a number of years ago, it could be in your notes, we called it uh, stacking or building rephrased it and restructured a little bit so it made more sense and was more clear and just called it a snowball. We've already talked before about the 15% call strategy. And that's where you buy an out-of-the-money option, the proper entry point, the proper time of year, and you let it run, right? And you buy one that's 15% out of the money from the current stock price. Before you can snowball a position, you have to be comfortable with the 15% call strategy and the thinking that goes with it. Because snowballing is not gonna make sense and you're not gonna be comfortable with it until you've mastered the 15% call trades. Now, what I'm gonna talk about, please listen carefully. Don't think about what I just said and try and process this. Stay with me on this one. See how many people are gonna ask the question. I'm gonna tell you, don't ask this. Because what I'm about to talk about relates only to the concept of the or to the strategy of snowball. And if someone says, but you're saying it differently than you said about a trading account position, then if we were in the room, I would allow a whole bunch of people to throw paper wads at you because you were not listening. The workspace is filled with stocks that move. And there's really two classifications of those stocks. The first group is those stocks that move. 
And the second group is the stocks that really, really move. And so to start a snowball, you're looking for the same exact charting circumstance where you would begin a 15% call trade. Now, some of you are doing too many 15% call trades. You're using stocks that are inappropriate for the 15% call. You only want to do the 15% calls on the most volatile stocks in your workspace. And to do that, the weekly chart has to be poised and ready to go up. And if you're going to snowball a position, you do it with stocks that move the most volatile names. And snowballing is something you do only during the fall season. It's a very rare exception that you'll snowball from the spring high to the summer low. And you definitely don't want to look to do this during the transitional season. And the setup you're looking for on the chart is something along the lines of if this most volatile stock that you're looking at were a long-term holding, this is where you would be taking the first bite. And so you're using the weekly and the daily charts <clears throat> to determine the potential move. You're predicting the size and the length of the move. How long do you think this trade will last? And so in order to do that, you've got to be doing prediction homework along the way, and that will help you develop the ability to do this. When you're snowballing, your first buy is 15% out of the money. Give yourself at least five months of time. And after the stock moves and then the subsequent pullback happens, you got to sit through the pullback and stay in your call options. Now, it's not likely to come back down to where it began, but you have to be willing to sit through that. And there's, there's your first experience of dealing with the pressure of profits. You're going to be profitable, and now you have to give a lot of it back as it does its pullback. After that initial rise, you can watch for an opportunity to buy puts as the stock is doing the pullback. In order to do that, you just pay, you're looking at all the charts, pay attention to the indicators. You may or may not have a put opportunity. That's fine. If you get a clean put entry on the pullback, that's awesome. But if you don't, no problem. If the daily or 233 gives an entry, you buy in the money puts with about a month, month and a half, maybe two months of time. And you trade the puts down like you normally would. But keep in mind that puts typically have a shorter duration during the fall season. And when it looks like the stock isn't likely to go down any further, close the puts. And now be mindful of a consolidation move. If you hold the puts through that consolidation, your put trade is going to evaporate because of time decay. <clears throat> so after a pullback, as the stock starts to head north again, and typically you'll see it on the daily or 233, maybe the 55, then you buy more calls. Your trade size is what it's always been. It's the X trade size. And so as it starts to turn north again, <clears throat> it very likely will not have hit the lower band on the daily or the 233. And rather than using the lower band, you may see it's using a moving average as potential support. And you do this if and only if the indicators are verifying. Now, if the stock has moved about 25% of its potential move that you assessed from when you first got in, then your next buy is the strike that is at about 10% out of the money. Same expiration month. 
if the stock has made about 50% of the move, the potential move, then your next buy is about 5% out of the money or maybe even an at the money. Again, same expiration month. <clears throat> if you get another entry later on and the stock has made about 75% of the potential move, then your next buy is in the money with the same expiration month. And as the stock gets uh, has made about well, ballpark 75%, a little north of that, of the expected move, now it's time to consider leaving the position. And before the stock reaches what you would consider all of the move, you should be out of the entire position. You need to assess the trade to determine if the potential remaining move will be enough to offset the time decay on the entire position. So I wouldn't snowball any further beyond about 5% of the move. And you only snowball on big charts. And again, only on stocks that move. <clears throat> it gets initiated off the weekly chart. And chart-wise, it looks like the same chart condition as where you would look to buy an LTH. But you're doing this on a volatile stock. And subsequent purchases are made off the daily or 233 when you have a reason to buy to go back up. And you're looking at the band-to-band -band possibilities on the weekly as being the, to the total potential of the trade. And every time the price does a pullback and then starts to go up again, you buy another position. Strongly encourage you to practice this one because discipline is important. And you have to get comfortable with it comfortable with this before you use real money. And I can't say it enough. Discipline is important. And what you're doing then is you look to enter the exit the entire position when prices get near the end of its potential move. And you can capture the last 25% of the move with the last position entered. But don't treat that last entry as a Las Vegas type trade. It's not a lottery ticket. As I said earlier, you have to let yourself grow into doing this type of trade. And don't look at doing this until you have an account balance that can handle this, right? Because you may end up having three or four legs, two, three, four legs in a single position, which means then that your trading account should be dramatically larger than your X size. So if you've got a $2,500 account and you're doing trades of $1,000, you don't have enough account balance to be able to handle something like this. Do it on paper. When you start out, <clears throat> don't plan on having more than two or three buys on the trade that you're snowballed. Right? So two, maybe three slots or X's, if you will. In purchasing this, if if you do it, otherwise you're going to have you're going to be too heavily loaded on a single position, and you are not going to sleep, and you will definitely feel an incredible pressure of profit because you've got to be comfortable enough to let the stock back up, and then look to get in again in the future. And again, each one of these trades is your normal X size trade. And you're very likely to see some level of pressure of profits. <clears throat> and because of that, I fully expect early on, you're going to struggle with this concept. 
and you will continue to struggle with this until you get over the thought of every candle has to go in my direction. It doesn't have to, and it's not going to. You got to keep in mind, wealth is not achieved by making all the money on each move. It's made by putting together trades intelligently, and then you trade them intelligently over and over and over again. And when you do this correctly, the profits on this are huge. But in order to get that, you do, you snowball on stocks that move and those that really move. If they're just kind of a mediocre one, don't bother. You don't have to take it to the weekly upper band to call it done. But you do want to sell it on the rise before it hits the weekly upper band or even earlier, not after it rolls back on top of you. <clears throat> and while you're snowballing, if you come into earnings with an insurable profit, you got to insure the entire snowball going through earnings. Right, so you're going to be buying puts to ensure that. You put yourself at a delta neutral position. You may decide to get out before earnings, just simply to avoid the headache of insuring. And then post earnings, assuming there's still more move left to capture, and assuming the chart hasn't changed dramatically, you could look to simply just jump back in, even without a chart entry, as long as it makes sense from a charting perspective. A final comment on this, you, you, <clears throat> you want to be sure that you don't max out your 50% trading account rule by doing 15% calls and snowballs. You have to have a large enough trading account balance to be able to do this. <clears throat> and you want to have enough funds in there such that you do not impact the ability in your trading account to do 5 to 10 trades a month. And so just to be sure you understand, between the two strategies between a 15% call and a snowball, you should be able to answer the question. If I asked which one should you do first? And it says right in the notes, if you don't know. All right, any questions on this? Chris, are you sitting here? Yeah, I've stepped away. I've got a question for you, Chris. Yes, ma'am. Did I miss um, an average time frame? A snowball trade would happen, um, depending, I know, on the charts, but can you say it's a typically a 10-week a trade? Um, and you're buying options three months out or? Uh, so you did miss that. So I did tell you how far out to buy the options. That was in there. If you go back and read it, you'll see it. Okay. And what you're looking to do on these, what is nice is when these last for the bulk of the duration of the entire fall winter season. Okay. So it runs from if and when you get an entry, you know, September, October, and it runs through year end, maybe even into January. Very good. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Other questions? Hi, Chris, I have a question. Sure. So if if the snowball goes well, um, you're basically closing all of the positions at the same time towards the end of this, right? Before before Correct. it hits the top. Correct. 
Okay. Yep. 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 And that would be potentially a very big payday if you have two or three 15% calls in there that you got at good prices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why Which we, is why we, I put it in I right after in the right emotional pressure of profits. Gotcha. Thank you. You're welcome. Other questions? Hey, Chris. I have one. Yeah, I sure. just wanted to clarify. I, I, um, I kind of missed there. Was Are you looking for band-to-band uh, -band on the weekly on this? Let's see if I put it in there. The answer is yes. Um, I know I said it. I don't know if I wrote it when I started on that. <clears throat> Tim, think about this. Without reading your notes, and I'm not picking on you. We can change your name if you want. I'll call you Bob so no one knows who you are. So this is not pick on Bob, Bob Knight or Tim or, or Bill, whatever name you want to call yourself. What What's the charting formation that I'm looking for on this? Uh, usually weekly poised to go up um, and then daily or 233 going band to band. So just like you would see on an LTH entry. Mm -hmm. So imagine doing an LTH entry, but I'm going to do that on a, on a volatile stock, not on a boring stodgy one. Right. So I want to okay. see the weekly. There's the weekly. There's the daily. Bang. I'm in. And I'm not trying to take this thing for three, four, five days. I mean, it'd be great if I could took it, as Lori said, could I take it eight, 10 weeks? Which means you're going to have, it's, you're going to see, you know, some red candles on that weekly chart and you're sitting through all of it. And you're going to see a very healthy options profit evaporate. And then the stock will start rising and you'll see it reclimb. And now you've added a second position on there. And then it'll, price will rise. It'll go up to the next, um, you know, resistance area. May go sideways. May pull back a little bit. And now you have a trade size that is trade size that is now two x. And you're going to watch your op options position evaporate a little bit as it does a pullback. And now it's going to support and now start to rise again. And there's your third entry. And now you have three X positions on these and it rises some more. And now remember that first one we did an out of the money. So you've got a very healthy profit on that first options position. And that second one now has had a nice rise as well. It too was a little out of the money when we bought it. And if you get lucky and pick a good one, the returns are, are eye-popping. And turn back to that page about the emotional pressure of profits, and now you'll, you'll see what that feels like. And now you train yourself to quit focusing on the money and focus on the chart. Because until you can start doing that, you'll never be able to push big money. I think I get it. Yeah, you'll vomit at some point. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be, hopefully it'll be a lot. Hopefully a lot of vomit? 
yeah because it'll be so big so <laughs> the trade the trade size will be so big so i'm gonna vomit a lot yeah you don't want to vomit at all it's become it becomes an expectation it's like yeah this is what i do and there are times a year that you get a nice uh a nice move on a semi-large somewhat large position But you go back, you know, go back in time and find a, a stock that had a nice move in the fall season. And you, you, you've been trading op if you've been trading options enough, you can guess what the option price would be. Looking at you know point of entry, and looking at one that's fifteen percent out of the money. And if you're unsure what that option price would be, just look at a, a stock that's currently at that price level. Look fifteen percent out of the money five months out. And that'll give you a gauge. And then you can just see what happens from there. It's an attractive strategy once you're comfortable. Other questions? Hey, Chris, can you go to the next slide after this one? Mm -hmm. We gave you the example. No, right there. After the initial rise, the, the, the second slide of the snowball. Uh, this one or back one? Back one. The, the a second bullet point here says after an initial rise, watch for an opportunity to buy puts. Um, and then the very last bullet, after the pullback and the stock starts to turn back north, typically seen on the daily or 233, then you buy more calls. <clears throat> so in in this trade, are the are the daily indicators likely to turn against us and give us a, a clean entry for that next put uh, that next call by most of the time john you're going to see it on the 233 you'll see the indicators turn against you and then turn back in your favor you're going to see the setup on the 233 i guess my question is am i am i seeing like price continue or i am seeing the indicators head back north after they've been heading south both okay so I'm, I'm holding this position through a point where I would normally have exited, right? Absolutely. Okay, I fact, got it. You might be holding it through a couple of those. Got it, got it. That's what I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what that pullback and re-entry looked like. John, think of it this way. Picture a, think of an LTH stock, mm -hmm. whatever you're in, some boring stodgy, whatever. And it happens to have a nice move in the fall season. Mm-hmm. And now, and so you see a weekly chart, it's running for six, eight, 10 candles, whatever that is, right? So you get a two and a half, three month move on that. It's not going to be all white candles going up for those six, eight, 10 candles. You're going to have a couple of red, a couple of um, moments of red in there. Right. You get a week or two of a red candle. Think of what that week or two of a red candle does on your 233. Right. That's, you know, 10, 20 candles. Yep, exactly. So that's going to pull it back. But when you're in the LTH, doesn't bother you because you're going to own it forever, mm -hmm. right? You may look to sell a call, you know, sweep a small chunk of change out doing a 55 or something, but you're not worried about it because you're owning it forever. But on this one, in your mind, you look at that and say, oh, wow, I was up, you know, this many percentage points on my first position. And now I'm, I'm giving it, I'm watching it evaporate away. And I went from being up, you know, some number of mid to high double digit ROIs because it's an out of the money position. And now you're gonna go back to being up maybe 10 or 15%. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna gnaw at you. 
Hmm. And now it bottoms out to find support, probably on a 233. You may or may not get a clean entry there. Likely you'll see a clean entry on a 55. <clears throat> and now it heads north from there. Thank you. That helps clarify. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. That's why Lamb was trying to show us the uh, yearly pattern. Yes. Yep, you got it. To build on that. Mm -hmm. To get you outside of your daily or, you know, your normal 233 to kind of think that, okay, that makes yes. sense. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, no problem. <clears throat> Other questions? Did I cover right here? Did I cover that? Yeah, I know I said it. <laughs> no problem. So when you are, if when you're snowballing, you're going to come into earnings with an insurable profit, and you have to insure it going through earnings. Now, one, one way to do that, right, you just buy enough puts to put you at a delta neutral position. Or if you just want to close the trade before earnings, just to avoid the headache of having to do the put insurance. And then after earnings are announced, assuming there's still more move left to capture, and, and assuming the chart hasn't you know, changed dramatically, you could look to simply just get back in, even without a chart entry as long as it makes sense from a charting perspective. But Scott, the issue you may run into is, let's say that you close it before earnings, you're back in cash, <clears throat> they announce earnings that night, the next morning the stock the stock gaps up substantially. Not up to the upper band, but uh, it leaves you a pretty healthy gap area. Now the trading gods are gonna screw with you because if you decide just to jump back in, yeah, it's a pretty good bet they're going to take it down and fill the gap on you. And if you decide to wait for them to fill the gap, they're not going to fill the gap. They're going to let, make it run without you. And you got to be comfortable with that. And that's the risk you run of closing it through earnings. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're 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 going trying to get to delta neutral. Uh huh. Other questions? I think this is one of these when if you go back and look in time, <clears throat> and you know find a a volatile stock that had this type of move, and then just follow it along, just you know uh, paper trade it candle by candle by candle, and say, oh, yep, I'd probably get in here. And you can see the impact of that, doing that over a number of trades as you're basically stacking or snowballing the trades or snowballing the positions on that single stocks move. Hey, Chris. Mm -hmm. So when you, when, you, uh, when you ballparked, there shouldn't be more than two or three buys. Is that based on the notion, the general notion that you're looking at two or three cycles up and down of the daily yes. on the full weekly move band to band? Uh, yes, exactly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
And Mitch, occasionally you'll see one that moves forward, but usually they're going to move two to three. Where it'll rise, it'll pull back a little bit, it'll do another rise, small little pullback, and then the final impulse move up. I did a little research. That's what I was seeing, but I really like to hear it from you. Yep, yep, that's it. And and if you did that, you I mean you see that one pretty commonly. Occasionally you'll see one that does four, four moves, but and sometimes it happens just in two, but usually it's three over the course of that three-ish month period, if it's going to run, you know, a weekly band-to-band -band move in that three, four-month period. I, I, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a good buckle your seatbelt warning that you're going to get, you know, uh -huh. two or three full daily moves, you know, oh, yeah. 80 to 20. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it, it can be, depending how your level, well, <clears throat> This this one gets deep into the, I mean, most of you are thinking about it from a, ooh, let me think about the charting of this. And the charting of this is actually pretty easy. It's the emotion of this that's really going to F you up. You're not thinking about the emotion of, wow, I've got, imagine you, we've all looked at, we've gone back in time and, you know, studied past moves we've all seen one where you think, oh my gosh, that would have been great to have gotten in down there at the bottom. And, oh yeah, it'd be awesome to ride up, sit through that little pullback. And the stock did, a, I don't know, 40% move from high to low. And it went up and it tapped the upper band on the weekly. And, oh my God. And you think that would just be so cool. And in your mind, you're doing the math. Instantly you do the math. Oh, it was a hundred dollars stock. It ran to 140. That's 40%. That's $40. Whatever your whatever your trade size is, you do the math on that and you pat yourself on the back. <clears throat> and then you do the math on the option. And if you've ever tracked one when a stock runs 20, 30, 40%, you see the ROIs that you get on the option. But you're doing that calculation on a 70 delta. When you do it on a 40 delta where you're buying out of the money to begin with, that number gets even bigger, huger. It's a new new term that I just created. And now you do that with a second position also. And then you're taking the last little chunk of that and potentially a third one. Thou shalt experience a knot in one's stomach. And when you start to feel it. Like, yeah, when that is huger to my greed vocabulary. <laughs> And when you, when you start to feel that, you'll recognize right away why I keep barking at you saying, don't look at the account balance, trade the chart. So next thing is to talk about uh, doing income account trades. <clears throat> Excuse me. Income account trades, you always wanna do those on the larger charts. The order of preference for catalysts, if you've got one, would be splits, then earnings, and then your star stocks. And when you do an income account trade, most of the time there's no reason not to be able to also do a trading account trade if they have options. If it's not optionable, obviously you can't. Excuse me, but if you can, do, if it makes sense to do an income account trade, vast majority of the time you can also look to do an options trade as well. And the order of preference if you've, uh, that you've got is splits, earnings, and then the star stocks. 
And so looking at the splits first, <clears throat> post-split is a very, very attractive place for doing income trades. Ideally, they're optionable, but it's not, a man it's not mandatory. Stock splits show up all the time. You'll see more when the market's been on a bullish run, but they still show up when the market's not been on a bullish run. And so, for example, you might have ABC stock is, you know, is at $50 and it runs up to 100 The average public person says, man, if it ever gets back to 50 again, I'm going to buy it. The stock does a two-for-one split. They think it's an opportunity, and they buy it, even though it still is really a $100 stock that just gave you double the share, so it's a $50 stock now. <clears throat> and just so you know, you say, well, that must be just, you know, the Joe Lunchbucket that's doing that. It, Joe Lunchbucket doesn't have enough money to drive the market that way. For whatever reason, um, you see institutions doing it as well. And you'll see the volume come in, or the price will drive up. It's not being driven up again by the guy in his basement that's doing this. Institutions are buying into it. When you're looking to do splits, what you're looking for is a split ratio of three to two or better. Um, what you're going to look at is the daily cap of the stock. And the way you calculate that is to take the stock price time multiplied by the average volume. You can find the average volume. Just go to Yahoo Finance key in the ticker. Um, when it brings up the price quote, just go down through the summary. I think it's in the summary area and you'll see, don't look at the daily volume because you might be on a, a large or small day. Look at the average volume. And I can't remember if it's a 30 or 60 day average. Whatever it is, is fine. Just do the math on the average volume by price. And that gives you the estimated daily capitalization. As I, Veronica was asking before, before we took the break, you want to see a daily cap at an absolute minimum 10 million. You want to see it much higher than that. The reason for that is you're trying to avoid having your income account trade size be anywhere close to one half of 1% of the stock's daily cap. A number of years ago, I had a guy in the class that was a portfolio manager for the capital group. Um, if you don't know the capital group, it's a massive mutual fund company headquartered in LA. He'd heard about the class from somebody who came in. And when he saw this, he came up to me at the break. And I, we were talking about it in Powell's and he started to chuckle. And he said, you know, it's funny. You talk about that doing on a stock as an individual. He said, we use that as a, a bar in that we don't want to exceed that when taking a position in the portfolio. So he's running a portfolio that's worth billions of dollars. They don't want to do, they don't want to move more than one half percent of the stock's daily cap when they're acquiring their position. So understand when, a, when you have a mutual fund or a fund that is acquiring a position, you and I can jump in and push our net worth in or our trade size, not have it upset the stock. When you've got a company that's in there pushing billions and billions of dollars to take a position, they can't usually do it all in one day. They've got to step in. And one of the rules they had in the whatever fund he was running was that this, the, the trade volume on their position in a day could not exceed one half of 1% of that stock's daily cap. What you're looking on these things with the income account trade, you want to be sure there's enough move to allow for at least a 5% minimum opportunity. So if the stock's just vibrating around and there's not 5%, wait for the next one. 
ideally you've got at least a 5% range, you know, high to low, looking at a weekly candle. If you're not sure if it moves enough, it doesn't. Go on to the next one, just skip it. And with these, you've got to learn to be patient. You're going to see a stock split. Let it settle down for about a week. So there, occasionally you'll see an entry in the first couple of days post-split. If it happens, let it go. Don't worry about it. Give it about a week or so to settle down. And then keep an eye on it and see if you can find a, what you call a post-split, basically see an entry sometime over the next two months, ballpark eight weeks. Not all splits are going to give you a trade in that eight-week or nine-week window. If it doesn't give you a trade, you can delete it from the watch list. However, if it moves a lot and if it's getting close to setting up, if you want to leave it on the list, can delete doesn't mean should delete. You know, if it's an obscure stock that doesn't move well, then get rid of it, don't worry about it. If the stock happens to be in a hot sector and it didn't give you a trade in that two-month window, yeah, you might keep it on the list a little bit longer if it's a better choice than some of your other split alternatives that are available. But don't keep that split stock on the list for an extended or an excessive period of time. And then for earnings, what you're looking for are stocks that historically have had a move either going into or coming out of earnings. And you do the trade if and when the charts line up with the history. So even if you've got history, I don't care. You've got to have a chart set up to do. We don't just trade the history alone. The history adds to your confidence, but it's not a reason to do the trade. It's always a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit, done according to plan. So if you can imagine following scenario where you've got a company that first raised guidance and now X number of weeks, months later, they're coming into earnings. And now you do that quick little search and go, oh my gosh, they have a, a historical move going into earnings or coming out of earnings around this earnings announcement date over past years. And the chart is setting up. That would be a very comfortable place to do a trade with your income account, along with trading an option at that point. <clears throat> now, there's going to be periods of time where you may not have many earnings candidates and you may not have many split candidates. In those situations, you can look to do an income trade on your best moving stocks, the stars. But the charts have got to provide an entry. It's always a brick, proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. You'll find when you study these, they tend to work best when there's a catalyst. Super six, whatever it might be. Now, what we're looking for for doing a split entry, you got to be comfortable that the weekly chart is rising or at a minimum is done going down. <clears throat> and you look in tandem at the daily and the 233 to get a single picture for that potential income account trade. It's highly preferable to have the body of the candle, whether it's the 233 or the daily or both, you wanna have it touching the bottom band. Most of the time, it's gonna to be touching the bottom band on the daily. Sometimes it's acceptable to only have it on the 233 with the body on the lower band. 
But if it's only the 233 on the band, you gotta have the daily coming off of potential support area with the indicators confirming. Now, before you start firing questions at me, re when you go back and do your studying later on tonight and tomorrow, read this and go find a couple examples. You'll see what I'm talking about. The candle that touches the lower band must either be the one that forms with the 3X or the prior. Most of the time, the entry is going to show up on the 233. Now, when that entry shows up on the 233, expect to see the daily coming off of a support area or potential support area. Indicators are confirming. Now, this way, with experience, you can also get in a trade on a sloppy 3X. But the cleaner the, the triple cross, the better. But remember, you cannot determine that it's a 3X until the candle has closed or is very, very close to closing. Now, understand something. What I just told you is an entry criteria for an income account trade. If you're listening, that's an entry criteria for any trade. Doesn't have to be income account. I just gave you the keys to the kingdom on what you're listening for, what you're looking for. We'll see how many of you are, are listening and thinking back on what was just said versus what I just told you now. Okay, next question is then, when do I get out? How do I exit on the split trade? You exit when you would sell a stock or when it's hit a potential resistance area or it's likely to pause or pull back. That's it. And then the question is, do you sell calls or do you sell a stock? That's really just your personal choice. And that's gonna be based on your ability in other words, are you good at doing the Bernanke technique? Are you good at doing the covered call technique? It's also going to be based on the stock that you're in. You know, what is the likelihood of the price continuing to rise? You want to also pay attention to all the charts and also look at the market charts. Because that'll give you a hint what the overall market is doing. The stock, if it's running with the market, that gives you a hint. And is there another opportunity? You got another candidate that you might have a larger opportunity in the near term. So if you're looking to stay potentially in the trade because you might squeeze out another dollar or two, that's great. <clears throat> but now you go through your watch list, your earnings list, splits list, and you think, oh, I've got another candidate setting up right there. Let me move to cash on this existing one, have my powder dry, and when the next one sets up, bang, I step in and I smack that one too, looking for the next victim. Then the question comes up, if you're gonna sell calls, which one do you sell? So the strike you wanna sell is the one that is at or below a major support area where price is likely to at least pause if it does get down that far. And then expiration-wise, you wanna sell a monthly, sell either current month or next month, and you're looking for a delta in the range of 70. What's going to happen is you're going to capture a bit of time value when you sell the call. If it keeps rising, you're going to get exercised. You'll get taken out. So your takeout price then would be the, the strike plus the premium, which will be above what your stock price is when you did the trade. If the stock does fall, what you do is you watch it for when it hits an area of possible support. Again, confirmed by the indicators. You buy, back, you buy back that call when the indicators are confirming that that pullback or pause is over and now the stock's rising again. Then let it run some more. 
And when it next reaches a potential resistance, again, where it's likely to pause or pull back, then you just sell the stock and close the trade. You'll notice I read that word for word. I gave it all to you. And that entry and exit criteria is the same on every trade you do. And some of you weren't listening. I'll go show an example in a little bit. <clears throat> With your income account, mentality-wise, you have got to be patient. Most people end up not making more than 5% on these trades because they think they've got to do something tomorrow. It's very easy to earn money if you're patient. If you do as instructed, you can almost schedule the income account trades. So if you've got a post-split stock, give it about five days, then watch the chart for the next two months, eight weeks, and you'll be able to see the trades coming if you're paying attention to the charts. If the daily chart's at the upper band, you don't need to stare at that chart every day. Just wait for it to drop a little bit and hit the lower band. It's gotta meet the criteria for entry or you don't do the trade. That's just discipline. When you're doing an income trade, you're buying stock, which means it does not have an expiration date. You don't need to act like it's gonna expire. Alternatively, you could buy synthetic stock. We covered that back in January. Once you make the, once you make the position, you get the position on, you buy the stock. You're expecting the stock to rise, but you gotta be patient. I promise you, every day will not be a white candle. You're watching the indicators using a band-to-band -band mindset. And I also promise you, all your income trades aren't going to work. And those that do work, they're not going to all get the same result. In my notes, because I hadn't updated them just when I first wrote this, there was an income account trade back in July 2012 on Dollar Tree. Gave less than 5%. Under Armour, less than a month later, gave more than 5%. You never know what you're going to get. But you don't demand. Whatever the market feeds you, you take. You don't worry about it. Every trade you do, you got to have a proper entry. Right? That never changes. Once you get proficient at the entry, then you're working on the exit and take that to your ability. And what your objective is to trade well, right? You just do the correct process over and over and over. Same entry, same exit. Same entry rules, same exit rules. And it's all about the indicators. What you want to do is you go back and you study your post, go study prior post splits and pay attention to how the stock moves during that nine week split period. Key point to make is you don't change the process when the result is not what you wanted. And the reason for that is you can never control the result. You can only control you and two things about you. And those two things are when you press enter to get in the trade and the requirements you need for your process. That's it. If you're going to do this in an IRA, all you do is you buy stock and then at the point where you would sell calls in the income account, just sell the stock in the IRA. 
and it's rare, you'll find when you do these, it's rare you'll be in the trade more than a few weeks. Two to three weeks is a very long trade for these. Any questions? Chris, it's Ryan. You, I have been in my notes, and maybe the in the past that you might have said you could trade leading into the split as well, or is you prefer post split? I'm taking it. So the challenge you get, Ryan, is that you can trade going into the split. The challenge you get is when the thing splits, you never know if it's going to pop or drop. And so. From right. I kind of was treating the split as a as an earnings day. Don't hold over the split. That, exactly. It's not usually it's not on an earnings day, but treat it that way. Because yes. you go back and look at these. Sometimes they pop. Sometimes they drop. So for I had in my notes four weeks leading up to the split could be a moment where it runs up, exit, give it a week, and then as you were saying, the eight weeks after that week could also be another run-up. Is that yes. right? Yep, okay. that's it. And okay. so that four weeks that you're talking about, uh, that's covered in POWs. Ah, yeah, okay. Yep. Cool. So next thing we're going to talk about is once you've got the LTH, what do you do with it? Um, if you've sat through POWs, remember thinking back when last you listened to POWs, this is similar to what I, what I call the Bernanke method. Um, the difference is that with the Bernanke method, we don't mind getting called out. But with your LTH, you do not want to get called out. And so what we're looking on this is we're selling calls against the LTH. I have a, they don't talk about it a lot in the media, but I just got a strong sneaking suspicion that this is what Buffett does. So he buys, you know, a boatload of shares of a company. If he doesn't buy the company outright, he buys a boatload of shares of them and then is willing to sell calls and or sell puts when appropriate. And what, what I call, you know, I, I refer to this as what Buffett does. It's, it's basically Bernanke, but on your LTH. And you can do it for many months in the year. You may not, but you don't have to. It's totally up to you. And it all depends on what, how the market is performing and how that stock is performing. During the fall or during the autumn season, if you will, it's more difficult to be selling calls. And so you're going to expect to do very few of these type trades because the market tends not to go down. The stocks tend to rise. There's not opportunities to sell covered calls because if the stock is continuing to rise, but they're still going to show up every now and then. Um, <clears throat> as you go, as you go through fast track throughout the year and the years, you're going to discover that typically you're going to have more opportunities to do covered calls on the LTH in the time period of usually it's January through about August, maybe September. And if the stock moves well, you can use the 233. <clears throat> if the stock isn't one that moves that much, you could use the daily. What you're doing is watching for a three, a bearish 3X on that particular time frame, whether it's daily or 233, and looking for that to sell calls, but keeping an eye on all the charts. You're not just looking at that one single time frame. The entry setup is no different than where you would buy a put if you were doing this in a trading account. Remember, this is a stock that is generally not as volatile. The idea with an LTA, you can trade volatile, you can have volatile stocks in your LTH if you desire. I think you're going to find it's not the most comfortable position to be in. 
And so your LTH stocks tend to be boring stocks. You don't move a lot. And so that entry setup does look like what you would do in the trading account, but it's on a slower moving stock. And what you do is to sell a number of calls that matches the number of shares that you own. So remember when we do a call contract, we're covering, or it, re it refers to doing 100 shares. So if we've got 100 shares of stock, I would look to do one contract. If I've got, <clears throat> how do I say this? If you've got more than anything up to the next number, you've still got to take the lower 100. So if I've got 101 shares, I still do one contract. If I have 199 shares, I still do one contract. Once I break 200 shares, now I would do two contracts. And that would remain the same until I get to 299. Once I get to 300, now I do three con three contracts. So what you're looking to do is selling one to, one to two strikes in the money, generally a 70 delta, and you're gonna sell one or two months out in time. <clears throat> By selling that extra time, one or two months out, it reduces the possibility of you getting called out, you getting exercised, because I don't want to sell those LTH shares. Now, the nice thing about this, which is the opposite of what you see in the trading account, in the trading account, when you buy a call or buy a put, you want to see the stock move and continue to move because that adds to your profit. If the stock goes sideways, if you've had that happen, you'll notice that it's very painful to the premium on your option. But if you sell the option first, so do a covered call, the stock going sideways, the option loses value, but you sold first. So when you buy it back, you're able to buy it back at a lower price. So it actually is in your favor. And now as the stock reaches a bottom point, then you look to buy that option back and you're closing that covered call trade. So we own the, so taking the steps back, taking a step back looking at the steps. We buy the LTH, it runs up. It hits a spot where it starts to roll over, looks like one, like something that we would normally use, that we would be inclined to buy a put at that spot, but it's on an LTH stock. We sell a call, let it do its thing. When it looks like it's bottomed out, we buy it back. And so that is the equivalent, if you will, that's like renting property. We're giving somebody the right to buy the shares when we expect the price to be declining. We can buy back that right at a lower price. It's the equivalent of, of renting your stock. So let me flip it back to Chris. We'll look at a, so we covered all the things here. Look at doing a couple of them, we'll show you what it looks like. There you go, sir. All right. All right. You have anything specific, Chris, or? Hey, Chris, you know what? Let's do this. Why don't you flip it back to me and let me go through the insurance side of it. And then you mm -hmm. can do both sides. You can do both the covered calls and the puts. Uh, let me see here in the insurance long. Why don't you just read it? We could leave it here. Oh, that's fine. All right. Yeah. So you, you guys have it in your notes. Um, insuring mm -hmm. the LTH. So just keep reading on here, and then we'll go look at uh, examples on both. So to ensure the LTH holdings, you're buying puts, you use the weekly chart. And keep in mind, with insurance, the objective isn't to make money. The objective is to insure against the decline. The, uh, the idea is to break even. 
and you break even with the insurance and we're insuring it through weeks of decline. I'm not worried about the vibrations. I'm more worried about when I'm not worried. I'm more looking to take action when I see the weekly chart signal. And so I'm looking for a bearish or watching for a bearish 3X on the weekly chart. Now with experience, that 3X can be sloppy. And I'm looking to ensure again through weeks of decline. I'm not worried about vibrations. <clears throat> and so when we do that, there's a fine, when you look at what's striked by, there's a fine line between getting full coverage versus overpaying for the insurance. So if you're buying at the money puts, yeah, four to five months out, then you probably will look to buy maybe 50% more contracts than the shares that you own. So if you own 200 shares, you probably would buy three contracts. If you're buying one strike in the money puts, again, four to five months out, then you're probably going to buy in the range of about a third, 30%, 35%, something like that, more contracts than the shares owned. It becomes a math exercise to figure out which one's the least expensive, but is giving you adequate, adequate coverage. And the objective is to get full coverage so that the decline in stock price is matched by the increase in the price of the option. This is an art, let me be very clear, because you don't know how quickly the price is gonna decline. If it drops down slowly, you're gonna see the price of the option increase but it may lose some value because of the reduction in time value. And depending what the volatility number is. But the idea is if you buy more insurance than you need for shares, if that, if it, how do I say this? If the decline in stock price is greater than the rise in the option price, that's okay because you own more options. Best choice, buy enough time to protect yourself against this expected duration. And if you're not sure, man, ballpark five months of time is usually enough. If you're in a period of, an, of where you have the expectation could be a much longer decline, i.e. we're in a depression or a recession, you can look at buying leaps. So we'll look at a couple of those. All right, Maestro, it's on you. All right. So um, just, you know, think about selling cover calls as, uh, you know, Chris talks about renting a stock. So you're happy when you collect rent and you buy puts, it's insuring. So when you buy insurance, life or health, you're not happy when you got to make a claim or you're not happy when you use it. Okay. So keep that in mind. All right. It's not, you know, insurance, it's not something desirable. I, I want to insure here and it's, you're excited about it, but the, the cover calls, you know, they're good opportunities to kind of pull out right income from, from, uh, from your holdings. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Next thing to talk about is stock buybacks. Um, <clears throat> There seems to be primarily three reasons why a company would buy, do a, a buyback. Um, one is that the perception is that their stock is undervalued. And so they go out in the open market and purchase their own shares. Second thing could be that the company has got higher expenses 
that cannot easily be passed on to customers without having, without having an impact. And they don't want that to show up in their quarterly earnings. And so they reduce the number of shares because of doing a buyback. And thus the earnings per share number ends up looking appealing. Some people call that financial engineering. You call it whatever you want, but that stuff can go on. Or third alternative could be company can't find a better alternative where to use the excess cash. So they may not have investment opportunities within the business. And it seems that the best use of the cash is to go buy shares in the, in the open market. <laughs> um, a few years ago, there, and this still exists today, there's actually a fourth reason the company might do a buyback. And that is to bring back onshore the offshore profits. The cash has got to be put to work and either through investing in the business or via a possible stock buyback. And so in doing that, it reduces the number of shares and then that bumps the earnings per share number. But don't get too wrapped up in this. And if you go read Buffett's annual letter that he wrote, uh, you can just do a search on uh, Berkshire, and, uh, Berkshire Chairman's Letter 2022. <clears throat> he talks about the buybacks a little bit. Don't get too wrapped up if you want to understand it and the mechanics of it. He goes through a couple minutes on it or a couple paragraphs. There's two possible ways to potentially trade a buyback. And you may use a buyback as a catalyst going into earnings for your trading account. What you do is you listen for when a company makes an announcement for a buyback and you watch the indicators. And you're looking for a buy point before the indicators are released. And then you exit before earnings are announced. So what you can do is when they make the announcement, draw a yellow line at the current price. And I pick yellow just so you know that it's for this technique specifically. <clears throat> and that price point may become a support area in the future. And then later on, if price retests that yellow line, watch the indicators for confirmation that it is actually a support area. <clears throat> Doesn't happen a lot, but it does show up enough that it's worth note making note of. And so that's another, you can use a stock buyback as a potential future catalyst. 